Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Welcome, Auburn, into the Tuesday edition of Sports Call Live on Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy with you today, and I'm joined by Tom Peavy and Brant Daughtry on this Tuesday as we will continue to go over everything happening in the sports world, uh, including an interview with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer coming up just past 3.30 or so today. We'll have birthdays in sports as we do each and every day. Uh, we'll also get into a little bit of uh, talk about the college football coaching carousel as it should officially, or not, I won't say officially, but be about over with after UCLA hired a football coach yesterday. So we'll tell you about that and kind of give – our thoughts on what should be the culmination of all the, the big head coaching jobs in the cycle. So we'll offer some thoughts on that. We'll also, of course, continue to talk some Auburn basketball as we are now starting to look towards the Auburn and South Carolina game inside of Neville Arena tomorrow night. If you want to give us a call on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us on this Tuesday edition of the show. Ryan, Brant, and Tom with you here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. We'll start with you, Brant. I hope that you had a good weekend this past weekend. I hope you are well on this Tuesday. Uh, doing great, man. Uh, happy to be here. Happy to uh, – yeah, just happy to be here. Um, <laughs> I, I think I, I did have a really good weekend. Uh, got to call Auburn softball's game against Virginia Tech. Was also supposed to call a game against Illinois that – Ended up getting rained out. My first ever tie that I ever called. 5-5 was the final in that one. Um, and those were all the runs that were scored. There was nothing else that happened in that game to suggest that the outcome would have been any different <laughs> at any point. So 5-5. Uh, five to five. Uh, my first, uh, I'm uh, still undefeated as an Armour broadcaster. I'm 2-0-1. So uh, hoping to keep, continue that streak as softball season continues. But yeah, looking forward to a lot of stuff that we've got to talk about today. Coaching carousel stuff, prop bet stuff. Uh, just a lot going on and looking to get into it. And then Tom Peavy with us again on this Tuesday hey. edition of the show. Tom, how are you this afternoon? A uh, little sleep deprived, but other than that, I'm I'm good. I'm here and ready to talk about some more sports ball uh, as we did some mm-hmm. yesterday. Still plenty to talk about. Sure. So ready to get into it. Yeah, we, we still have some Super Bowl things to go through, which we can yeah. definitely uh, go ahead and get to if we want to today. Uh, like I said, a little bit later, we do want to go through uh, the coaching carousel. We did not get to the UCLA hire yesterday after we did talk about the firing, or not the firing, the the departure of Chip Kelly at the end of last week. Uh, so we'll kind of wrap that up and, again, hopefully start to put a bow on the coaching carousel season 
as heck spring practice starts for some teams including auburn in a couple weeks by, by the way so it is needs to be time at some point to end the carousel uh so we'll talk a little bit about that uh, in just a few moments and uh, i too am sleepy tom not because of lack of sleep but because of what i ate at lunch and i'll just leave it at uh there is a uh, national sub shop that uh, has foot-long dessert items now. Oh, yeah. Uh, which uh, Brant and myself and Brooks all kind of partake, partook in earlier today. Did you get the cookie? Uh, sure did. Hey, uh, we, we each bought one of the three items, and then Ryan measured out the items into equal thirds. Oh, okay. And then we all had a third of those foot-long items. And it yeah. was uh, pretty solid. Thumbs up. That's uh, all I'll say. Thumbs up. Uh, amazing going down. Uh, and now very sleepy uh, as it's as it's sitting. And um, yeah, we're, we got three hours of this, though. We're going to be so good. <laughs> no yawns from me. Uh, clearly, there will be yawns from me. Anyway, uh, we'll go to our Orthopedic Clinic phone line in just a minute. Already got a couple of phone calls. Did want to, uh, Brant, give you the opportunity, since we were talking a lot about it yesterday, your thoughts uh, on Super Bowl 58, everything from... Uh, the the late comeback by the Chiefs to missed opportunities by San Francisco and just what uh, what struck your eye? Yeah, I, I think those are the two biggest things. The, the 49ers didn't play a perfect game. The 49ers were the better team for the first four quarters, uh, and it felt like they had opportunities to run away with it, but those turnovers, man, especially. The two turnovers that uh, were unforced, I mean, a Christian McCaffrey fumble and then a, a muffed punt, uh, and just – those are the reasons that they lost. I mean, they should have won this game um, and probably were the better of the two teams. But uh, at the, you know, with, with the way things happened, they didn't play a perfect game. And if you don't play a perfect game, Patrick Mahomes is going to come back and beat you. He's already cemented himself as uh, probably a top five player all time. Uh, at only 28 years old, he's got a lot of ground left uh, that he can cover. So I'm. I'm excited to see what he does, even though I'm kind of dreading it. Um, I, don't, I don't really get success fatigue like a lot of people have. The only reason I hate the Patriots is because of what they did to the Falcons in that one Super Bowl uh, that we don't talk about. But uh, I think that what the Chiefs have done is incredibly impressive, and I think they're a lot of fun to watch. And Patrick Mahomes, man, he's going to be around for a long time and already, already has put himself in that pantheon. Yeah, with the things we talked about yesterday, one of the things we did not get to was obviously Mahomes and uh, where he is headed. And uh, obviously, uh, look, some people are already you know in the camp, best ever, greatest ever. I always will say there's a difference in best and greatest, and you're Absolutely. much more. I think you're much more uh, valid in thinking best at this point. It, that's very much. In question, and that is not necessarily has to be as accolade driven or as time oriented in terms of just how long or something. Because there's some people that will say, you know, Bo Jackson's the best college running back or, or best running back period they've ever seen. Well, he gets hurt so early in his NFL career that he doesn't get to achieve the great accolades that would have made him, you know, a, the goat running back or whatever in the NFL. Obviously, his college time can still be in that conversation, but. You know, sometimes things out of control happen. Sometimes you just don't get the opportunity to meet those moments. With Mahomes, obviously what's what's unique here is the three at age 28. It's not like you're having a late John Elway run while you're, you know, finally getting your Super Bowls at the very end of it. Uh, it's not even like you're just you just worked up to a prime where a couple years was okay, then a couple years really good, then a couple years, oh my gosh, he's arrived. 
He was really, really good from the day he started playing quarterback for He's, Kansas City. He could retire today and be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Absolutely. Famer. And he is yeah. 28 years old. And and so that's what's so uh, unique about it is that, you know, even with Brady, everyone knew Brady was was really damn good pretty quickly. I mean, you win a Super Bowl as early as he did. Uh, they did miss the playoffs the second year, but then they go right back to it with a couple more Super Bowls. Uh, but we're also living in a time where passing is so much more glorified and it's so much more a, pa- a part of the game. Like Brady was in the middle of transitioning out of an era where running backs were as, as important uh, to now where this is a passing league. And so he got to see it through by the time he got Randy Moss in the late 2000s. It was transitioning to starting to chuck it around. And now we all, every team chucks it around. If anyone runs 52% of the time, that's an insane amount, whereas that would have been the norm uh, early 2000s. And so now you put on display these guys that that's the livelihood of the offense. It's not a, a, a balanced attack. It's not, well, this goes hand in hand. It is these guys that are, it's solely in charge almost of, of leading these offenses. And so that's why for Mahomes to have started this early, the capacity for what he could end up being uh, and what he already is, because again, I know he's 28, but you have three Super Bowls. You've been to four. Uh, you are what you've lost two playoff games and your record is yep. something like 15 and two or so, something in the- there. He's been the starter for six years. The worst they've ever done is second in the AFC. Right. That's it's success after success. So it's it's just a matter of trying to project out what ends up happening. And look, he already has kind of squashed and justifiably so. Like again, I'm not I'm not making a comparison today. This is why I'm talking more about projecting and that sort of thing. Because when he, he was asked about it after the Super Bowl, he said, "You know, I think it's always going to be tough because I lost to Brady in the Super Bowl." But that's what's going to be the thing that drives him for the next 10 or 12 years. It's not even going to be about, oh, we won, you know, say they want, win again next year in 3 P, and then the noise gets even louder and you've won four. What's going to end up driving this guy is going to be, well, I have a number I want to get to to get to the guy that, that ends up beating me. Uh, and so it's just interesting from the standpoint of he is – there's no obvious way that he would fail. Because we're already thinking about how clutch it is. We're already thinking about how talented he is. We're already thinking about how they probably had a bottom 10 receiving core this year, and it didn't matter. We're thinking about all these teams. Yesterday I did a little exercise where look at Buffalo's. That This was a great chance for them. Look at Baltimore. Great chance for them. Over the NFC, when is Dallas going to figure it out? San Francisco with Shanahan, so close. All these teams had every right to be the team to step up this year. And they all went into the same frustrating playoff ways that has plagued their mm-hmm. either coach or franchises for years. And so it's just at what point will someone actually rise over a hump? You know, does it have to be Cincinnati since they're the only one of late to beat him in the AFC? It can't be Brady. He's retired. You know, so it's just like what what is supposed to be the obvious stopgap other than just, I don't know, bad luck one year. Right. I, to me, the only thing that can truly disrupt it is whenever Andy Reid decides to retire. I, he's an older guy. There were rumors that he was considering it after this year. He has kind of put those to rest. He doesn't. He says he's not going anywhere. Fine. But he is an older guy. At what point does he decide to retire? Because his offense is so unique and so tailored to what Mahomes does well. 
I'm not saying that Mahomes can't fit in any other offense. He obviously can. If we're if we're already hailing him as maybe the best ever, you you can find an offense that fits him. But I I just as good as Andy Reid is, as well as those two work together, I don't know if you could <clears throat> see a quarterback go to a different, an entirely different offense and have as much success. But I I think that will happen at some point, and I'm interested to see what happens because I certainly don't think it will ruin Mahomes. Uh, I agree with that, and the reason that I say I agree with that is if you look at it, look at all the star power that they have lost over oh, some absolutely. of these teams. I mean, they have, especially the, in wide receivers, they've got wide receivers that are now playing all over the league. Uh, and I think a lot of people suspected that because of losing so many of those guys that they would falter. Well, it feels like – I don't know that they've necessarily gotten better because that offense – uh, is not as electrifying as it was a couple of years ago, but it's still so good that while it's dropped a little bit, it just it hasn't just completely fallen apart. And I, and I think that has to do with Andy Reid and the way he designs things and the way he designs things for his personnel. So, yeah, I I don't see them going away anytime soon. Now there are some competitors that are, are building up. I mean, you know, the Buffalo Bills and the AFC are going to be nipping at them. Um, some other teams are going to be nipping at them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, as long as they kind of have the, the Andy Reid and Mahomes, I think they're going to be fine. I'd be interested to see how dynamic they are or are not dynamic once Travis Kelsey packs it up. But uh, for now, I just don't see them going anywhere. Yeah, again, and they built a, a really good defense finally this year, and, and that's what helped them sustain through it. But, again, what, what I keep talking about, even with Kelsey – Again, you, you go through the league, and I'm not going to do this exercise. We don't have time for it right now. But, again, it's probably still a bottom 10 or 12 skill position unit if you're just going wide receivers and tight ends. I really like Pacheco. He could rank wherever you want to rank him. But uh, just wide receivers and tight ends, you know, you had an 800-yard Kelsey this year. That was like his lowest input or output since his first or second year in the league. And, and Rasheed Rice came on to 1,000 yards, but you didn't do it till very late in the year. So – I mean, you, you could you could take teams that had nowhere near a playoff spot this year that had better position groups there. So uh, even though the offense was not as prolific this year, look, they, they always did it when they needed to because of the quarterback. And so uh, that is something that's always uh, – the, the trajectory is just insane, and we'll certainly continue to talk about it. We will have Justin Ferguson coming on about 3.30 today, so let's go ahead and go – to our orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9. First up on the show today, James from Montgomery. James is with us. James, how are you this afternoon? I'm good in War Eagle. War Eagle. <clears throat> yeah, I know that y'all were talking about the uh, great uh, history uh, between the uh, Kansas City Chiefs and the San Francisco 49ers. I was going for the 49ers to actually win their first Super Bowl in 28 years. But I was just trying to see uh, what do you all think? Who's Who is going to actually make it to the Super Bowl next year as well? Yeah, so uh, the, the way too early rankings, I know the odds came out. I think that they're, uh, they're in AFC. I think Kansas City is the favorite once again. And I think San Francisco was the early favorite too. I, I would caution that usually it's not the exact same matchup two years in a row. <laughs> But if you're asking me Kansas City versus the field in the AFC right now, I got to go Kansas City. Uh, and then in the NFC, uh, I know a lot of people are going to like Detroit and see if they can take one more step, if Philadelphia mm-hmm. returns, that sort of thing. I think it's a lot of the same teams that were up in the top three and four this year. 
Yes, because if I if I do uh, decide for next year's Super Bowl, because I know it's going to be played in New Orleans, Louisiana next year, I think it's in 2025. Yeah, yes. in 2025. And what I'm looking at is I'm looking at maybe Detroit and Baltimore, or I'm looking at maybe uh, Pittsburgh and uh, the Washington Commanders, just to name those four teams. Because, you know, with the Kansas City Chiefs, I mean, they're a really good team, but I'll probably see another team actually make it to the Super Bowl just to give uh, other teams in the NFL a chance to, to actually get to that uh, big stage in New Orleans as well. Yeah, I really liked your Detroit and Baltimore thought there. I mean, those two teams were definitely hovering around it this year. Obviously, Detroit still never having been. Uh, that would be a huge storyline. And then Baltimore, look, they keep they keep having great regular seasons. And then either you know they, they did lose in this postseason, but the couple years prior that Lamar Jackson got hurt. So if they're able to re rack it and have another healthy year of Lamar Jackson, they will they will be a high seed in the AFC playoffs. They'll just have to get it done in the postseason. But I, I do like that pick. Yes, as well. So I'm going to actually stay with uh, Detroit and Baltimore because I think they might look like a good team in 2025. Uh, two teams to look good in 2025 to actually make it to the Super Bowl in Los. I mean, in uh, in New Orleans. And um, with the NFL Combine coming up, I'm looking at some great uh, some great players that are going to be coming in for the 2025 season. So I'm just going to be studying a lot on them and uh, seeing some great. Uh, players that are going to be, you know, key components that are going to be adding to the roster uh, next year and uh, seeing if they're going to make those changes uh, before the opening season starts in August as well. Yeah, NFL draft coming up in a couple months. you got free agency here in a few weeks, and so it'll be a very interesting time in the offseason. Yes, as well. So with the off season being very big, I'm actually going to be uh, looking at some players and seeing if they're going to have like the deadline contract, seeing if teams are going to be with the same uh, contract that they had last previous years, or if there was going to be like a change in uh, in different teams like the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not quite sure if they're going to keep. Uh, Dak Prescott or let him go because I know he has a huge, huge, huge salary cap to his name. So I think it's time for him to actually move to a different team as well. So I'm just going to see uh, who who they're going to actually pick for uh, the quarterback spot for Dallas as well. Yeah, I would think with Dallas keeping Mike McCarthy uh, for another year, I think they're probably going to try to run it back with as many uh, of their key players as they can this year. So I, I do expect Dak to be back. I mean, he got a very large contract, um, you know, and so or, or they will need to get him on a large contract. I think that um, – I think they're going to try to keep it as status quo as they can for this year. And then if they don't reach the Super Bowl, I think Jerry Jones will probably move on from Mike McCarthy. They'll bring in a new coach, and then they'll see – if they go in a different organizational direction with the quarterback. But I do expect Prescott to be back next year. Yes, as well, because I know a lot of Cowboys fans like myself, they always they always other Cowboys fans always telling me, Oh, this is our year to win the playoffs. I mean, we haven't even won a playoffs in like decades since like ninety five, ninety six year, um, you know, in the Cowboys uh, you know, carousel but i think every time i always hear oh it's our year to go to the super bowl 
I mean, the Cowboys, they, they think, I mean, Cowboys fans like myself and many other Cowboys fans, we, we think that we might make it to the Super Bowl. But I think in 2025, we might make it to the Super Bowl next year as well. So I'm going to I'm gonna just keep my hopes up alive for my team as well. So if we win or lose, I'm still going to be a Cowboys fan to to the end of time as well. There you go. Got to stay loyal even through the uh, the tough times. Yes, as well. And then with the big game that's coming up tomorrow on Valentine's Day weekend, I know we're playing against South Carolina at home, so that's going to be a really good uh, game and a really good gift for all of the uh, Valentine's Day uh, people that are going to be in uh, Neville Arena as well. And then on that same night, uh, the women are actually playing against Kentucky. So that would be, I think, February the 15th. That would be on a Thursday. So that would be a really good test to actually see um, how the ladies are going to beat uh, Kentucky as well. So I'm going to be watching these two great games as well. So I'm I'm pretty sure that the guys, I think they're going to really bring a lot of good candy to, to a lot of people that are going to be in Neville Arena on tomorrow as well. Yeah, maybe so. Making big week at Neville Arena, as you said. Got uh, two men's basketball games on Wednesday and then on Saturday and then the women's game on Thursday. So a lot of important basketball going on in Neville Arena this week. Yeah, because I'm actually going to be uh, looking at some uh, some games this week and next week before the big uh, selection Sunday uh, for March Madness. So I'm just trying to see who I'm going to actually be picking for uh, the, the March Madness tournament. So I'm just going to see all of the college basketball games as well. So it's going to be very, very hard for me to pick on who I'm going to put in my bracket this year. Yeah, it's going to be tough not to have a busted bracket. I mean, March Madness is always pretty crazy, and uh, I know that uh, we've all been frustrated at times with uh, big-time seeds losing early, but that's part of the beauty of it, and uh, we are looking forward to March Madness coming up here in about a month. Yes, as well, because last last March Madness of last year, I think it was in 2023, I actually had UConn, uh, the UConn Huskies, to actually win the whole uh, March Madness tournament. So I'll probably put them back in the uh, national championship uh, contender of March Madness. So I'll have uh, UConn men's and UConn women's uh, basketball teams actually winning March Madness as well. Yeah, the UConn men, they've been uh, number one a lot this year, and they've not lost, I believe, since the month of December. So they are looking really good with Dan Hurley again, and uh, UConn's going to be a force again. UConn women are, are trying to, to get back there. They, they uh, I think they've lost uh, a few here recently. I think they lost to LSU the other weekend. So mm-hmm. uh, they, they're, they're still trying to work their way all the way back, but obviously Gino R.E.M. and company are usually very good in March. Yes, as well, because I'm actually looking at um, I'm looking at LSU uh, this week for uh, the LSU women's basketball team, and I'm going to see how Angel Reese is actually going to, you know, how they're going to actually look good uh, this week. So I'm just going to put them at probably like at a three seed or maybe at a two seed when their when their uh, selection Sunday comes out as well so i just have to see how lsu is going to stand out as well yeah and uh it was south carolina it was my my apologies it was south carolina that beat uh beat uconn the other uh, other day but uh obviously south carolina number one in the country so that's very understandable yes as well and then with 
uh, baseball season right around the corner. I know, um, I know that Butch Thompson. I know he's really good uh, with uh, the men's baseball team. So I'm just going to see how our season is going to look for the 2024-2025 season. And I might look at some games in person as well. So I'm marking my calendar for the month of March when Auburn plays uh, South Alabama in Montgomery. So that's going to be a really good uh, game right there that I'm going to be marking down on my calendar real soon. Yep, we're looking forward to Auburn baseball, and we'll definitely be previewing on the show here in the coming days. Well, we've got an interview planned for just a few minutes from now, James. So any final thoughts before we let you go? Um, the only final thoughts that I actually have is I'm actually uh, counting down days to see the All-Star game, which is this coming up week. And uh, there are going to be some good games on tonight before the All-Star break. So I'm actually going to be watching it. And then on Saturday, on the 17th of uh, February is going to be a really good three-point shootout. So I actually have Sabrina Unescu winning the three-point shootout contest as well against uh, Stephen Curry. So I know that's going to be a really good game as well for me to watch. Yeah, I'm very excited about All-Star Weekend as well. It's going to be a lot of fun. All right, sounds good. And War Eagle, talk to y'all guys tomorrow. War Eagle, James, appreciate the phone call. That is James from Montgomery joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We need to go to our first time out of the show. When we come back, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer will join us. He'll talk all things Auburn basketball and more next. Join our conversation. Tweet us your thoughts on Twitter at SportsCallAU. This is Andy Bertram, voice of the Auburn Tigers, and you're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Welcome back to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brent Daughtry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon as we get set to go to the Orthopedic Clinic phone line where we welcome on Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, kind enough to spend some time with us again on this Tuesday. And Ferg, as always, the time is greatly appreciated. How are things in your world today? I'm doing well. How are you Doing very well. And so we start with Auburn basketball, obviously, and we start with a rough one in Gainesville on Saturday. I know uh, that Bruce Pearl and company just met with the media a little little bit ago. And uh, just what were some of the overall impressions and thoughts leaving Gainesville after Saturday's game? Yeah, I mean, it's just that Auburn got off to a slow start and never really recovered. Florida was fresher. They played a whole week, you know, had a whole week off between games and got to stay at home which I think was an advantage. Auburn didn't play well um, and execute their game plan as well as they wanted to. I think Florida you know, took advantage of the fact that they were fresher, sharper, just kind of more prepared for this one. And it was a letdown game, and it was a, it was a letdown spot you know, for an Auburn team that is playing. You know, This is what they haven't won since 96 in Gainesville. So, I mean, it's a lot of history going up against them. And I think Auburn definitely should have played better. And, I mean, you know, no one's going to use the – the rest is an excuse for why 
um, you know, Florida won compared to Auburn. But I do think it played a you know impact in their performance. Florida's got some really good guards playing good basketball right now. I think they outworked Auburn in the front court. And I think the big thing is is kind of mostly when you look at the Tigers this season is you know when they when they do well rebounding, they out rebound their opponents. I think they're thirteen and one this year. And when Jalen Williams is scoring at a high rate, Auburn's you know, got a really, really good chance of winning. So neither of those things really happened in that game, and I think that kind of set the tone. Um, the good news, though, for Auburn, I did think, is that they rallied there late in the game, second half. You know, They were down nearly 30 at one point, cut it all the way to 18. And, and that matters because that matters for your you know, metrics. It matters for your net. Auburn didn't move at all in the net rankings. Their seeding, their you know, metrics, their NCAA tournament stuff, really didn't get affected very much by what happened on Saturday. Um, so you would have loved to have won, obviously. Um, the SEC championship race is still, you know, uh, you know, probably the biggest impact that was made. But uh, it was a game that, while tough, while they need to play better, you know, not the worst thing in the world that could happen uh, for Auburn. And, and I think they've got an opportunity to kind of bounce back at home where they've, they've been undefeated this year. And Justin, something we were talking a little bit about on the show last week was, as you mentioned, that they had not won in Gainesville and still have not since 1996. And I just wonder if you heard anything from the team or, or have an inkling on if players and coaches ever talk about something like that with their guys or if that's something that you just, since it was other teams, you just don't worry about. I mean, just kind of what is the thought of a team that has not won in a building in, in such a long period of time? <clears throat> I think they're aware of it, uh, for sure. I mean, Bruce talked about it last week. You know, but every game's different. Every team's different. Every year is different. I think, especially in college basketball, where you talk about how much the rosters change from one year to the next. This is a Florida team that you don't play every single year on the road. So, you know, I think there's, you know, it's. I think it's just kind of a quirk of history more than anything. Um, you know, Florida's a tough place to play. Um, it is an older arena, but. Um, the student section is right on top of you, and, and they make a lot of noise, and it's a, it's a great crowd and a great atmosphere, and they obviously care about you know college basketball a ton at the University of Florida. So, you know, I, I think it's one of those things where you just you just you know it's in your mind, you know, kind of keep it in your mind. You'd love to be the team to make that history, you know, break that streak, all that stuff. Um, but I don't think it's necessarily kind of a sign of anything or something that they worry about a ton. Ferg, uh, we've all kind of come around to the idea of how hard it is to win on the road in college basketball, but we've also noticed uh, a lot of times this year where Auburn just has not played as well on the road. What's the? How do you strike the balance between understanding that it's difficult to win but still expecting this team to be to play more up to its potential? Yeah, I thought Saturday was the first time they played like really, really badly on the road on, on both ends. Um, I, the Mississippi State game, they played awesome on defense. Obviously, they had a chance to win at Alabama. Um, you know, they they had their opportunities. Um, you know, App State, they shot really poorly uh, from deep, but played well defense. This Florida game was the first time where I felt like Auburn just was not as good as they should have been on both ends. Um, so I think that played a part into it. And I get, again, fatigue, sharpness, all that kind of doesn't matter. But yeah, I mean, it is hard to win on the road. It is on in college basketball on the road, it is just you get a win any, any way you can and you move on, no matter who you're playing against. And I think that's. I think that's the thing for Auburn here down the stretch is, you know, they play Tennessee on the road, but then they play Georgia. They also play Georgia and Missouri on the road. And those are two teams that should be two very, very winnable games. So you kind of got to take care of business there, hold serve at home, you know, stay undefeated at home as, you know, if you can, and you'll have a chance to, you know, really compete for a championship year in and year out. So, yeah, they should have played better. Um, you know, I, I just think it is tougher for everybody to win on the road. 
last night Kansas goes to Texas Tech and gets doors blown off of them. Um, we've seen it. I mean, they're, you look at the top 15 or team, so teams in college basketball this year, every one of them has a pretty ugly-looking you know, loss on the road. Auburn had not had one until last Saturday, which I thought, you know, kind of helped them out. Um, and, you know, they, they recovered to make it a little bit better down the stretch. But, yeah, I think it was just, you know, they should have played better um, for sure. Uh, but I, I do look at it as, you know, when you play a really tough team on the road, it doesn't matter what the ranking is by their name and what the ranking is by your name. Um, it's just it's just really, really tough. Uh, it's just how college basketball has been this season. Now for the Tigers, they get two top 25 matchups at home, and of course they start with South Carolina. And coming into the season, South Carolina would have been exceeding expectations if they had an 11 in the SEC standings by their name. Instead, they have an 11 in the country by their name. Tell us about how this South Carolina team has been so good this year. It's it shocked everybody. South Carolina was picked to finish dead last in the SEC this year. They're now tied to the league lead coming into it they've got a six game winning streak they've played incredible basketball you know they beat kentucky at home they beat tennessee on the road um this is a south carolina team that is is old and tough and mean and physical and um you know bruce pearl pointed out uh, today um they have a lot of similarities to like the peak wisconsin teams um and and lamont paris has some wisconsin in his background which kind of makes sense it's one of the slowest paced teams in college basketball they limit possessions. Um, they are very comfortable with a variety of scores. Talon Cooper, one of the best shooters in the SEC, one of the best point guards in the SEC. Michi Johnson, a ton of experience there. B.J. Mack, as Bruce Pearl said today, is a 270-pound guard. That's just kind of the way he plays. They have a big man, a freshman, uh, you know, down low. Uh, they just had an incredible week. I've heard people compare him to Oscar Shibway in the way that he is just for a guy who's 6'8", dominates the boards, really good scorer on the inside. Got a lot of depth, a lot of balance, but there's a lot of unknowns on this team this year. You know, they had a mix of transfers, guys who were there last year and things didn't click in year one for Lamont Paris. Year two, they have gotten their systems kind of locked in and locked down. They win a lot of close games. They win a lot of tight games. They're not going to be afraid of the moment. They're not going to be intimidated by this atmosphere, and they're going to play their brand of basketball. So for Auburn, key is going to be get them out of their element, speed them up, force turnovers, Get out and run. The South Carolina team is going to want to take as much time as they want off the clock and limit possessions because while they are a very good basketball team, they're not as talented as a lot of teams in the SEC as we thought heading into the year. But they play really good team basketball and they have a variety of weapons. You know, they have a good balance. You know, when they do that, um, they can take care of business and beat some teams that they're better than, and they've done that a ton this year. So they're just a very unique matchup in the conference. It'll be a tough game tomorrow for Auburn. Uh, obviously, South Carolina is one of the hottest, te- hottest teams in the country. They're going to be fearless. Uh, Auburn's got to play better and, you know, obviously lean on this crowd to help them, you know, come out with a win. Uh, you mentioned the uh, you mentioned the physicality of South Carolina. Obviously, Auburn really outside of Janai Broom, you've kind of got a lot of smaller guys out there. But, I mean, how does Auburn match up with, uh, with a team that wants to actually bring that physicality to them? Yeah, I think Auburn's done a really good job this season on the most part of being a more physical team, you know, in most of these games. I think Florida, things kind of got out of, out of hand there uh, with them. And, again, they weren't fresh, as fresh or as sharp, and that played an impact. Um, you know, I think this South Carolina team is not overly tall. You know, they don't have a seven-footer down low. So, Broom and Cardwell are going to have some size um, advantages, you know, height, 
be interesting to see how South Carolina tries to play them. South Carolina, you look at their roster, it's a lot of six, 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 seven, six, eight guys that have tall guards as well. They're just big and, and physical, play this grind it style. And when they limit possessions and, and you know stretch out their uh, the clock like that, they, they do a really good job of um, just kind of wearing teams down. But I do think Auburn with their depth and their physicality, um, they are a, a team where they when they set the tone, especially on the boards, um, they've been a one. They're like I said, they're thirteen and one this year when they out rebound their opponent. They're gonna have to do that tomorrow. Pearl said it today. Defensive rebounding is going to want to win this game. Um, you know, throughout the season, Auburn has had an elite defense, um, especially in this building. They've done really, really well on the defensive end, so they're going to have to lean on that pretty hard in this one and, and, and lean on their depth um, because, you know, South Carolina is not going to be bigger than them. I think Auburn can match them with their physicality. I think Auburn's just going to have to really get a lot out of their depth in this game. And then, Ferg, obviously this weekend a lot going on with Auburn and Kentucky game. It's the Outlive game. It's college game day. It's uh, another chance for Auburn to to try to show off to the country how great this basketball environment has become. Uh, just what are some of the challenges that that Kentucky game will bring, maybe not only from Kentucky, but the challenges of everything else dealing with such a big game? You know, Auburn has done really well in these kind of high-profile matchups here. Over, you know, This is the fourth time game day this year, so it's not a novelty anymore. It's you're not anything kind of new. I mean, people are going to be excited and the fans are going to be fired up. But this is some big business as usual for Auburn, I think. And, and they are used to having the spotlight on them. They're used to playing in this building and, and playing well in this building. I think they're going to have to do that. Look at this Kentucky team. When they're on their game, they, they have one of the best offenses in the country. Problem is, Kentucky's defense has been really rough for most of the year. A lot of new guys, a lot of young pieces, just hadn't really clicked on that end of the floor. They just lost at home. Uh, to probably the worst Gonzaga team of the last decade. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a tough time. They're going to be desperate, though. And I think they're going to be coming in, you know, really, really just geared up um, and focused on, you know, getting their season, getting their, their you know, their push for a good seat in the NCAA tournament back rolling uh, in, in Auburn. And, uh, you know, I would say that playing here is, you know, going to be pretty tough for them. But I, I'll also add Kentucky gets, Kentucky gets the best of the best. Every time they go out on the road, and also they've lost three straight games in Rupp Arena for the first time ever. Um, so it, this is a team that's going to be desperate and trying to claw. And again, the amount of talent this team has on the offensive end is through the roof. Um, defensively, though, is, is my big question. And, and they've struggled away from home. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call Ferg. We'll close with this a little fun with Ferg. We haven't done this in a little while. Uh, we just had the Super Bowl, as you may or may not know, on Sunday, and we had uh, a wonderful game where we had five periods of football. Uh, what were your thoughts on just everything of how that game ends up finishing, the commercials, just everything about Super Bowl 58? So I was driving back from Auburn during the Super Bowl. I actually got back to Auburn um, – for overtime, so I listened to this game on the radio. Okay, um, and you know Kevin Harlan was on the call for us with one. It was a great, great call. It was a really good game. Um, I was, I was pretty, I was pretty wrapped up then on the way. So, um, but yeah, overtime, you know, comes and goes, and and it just, just as soon as you know, as soon as Kansas City got the ball there in overtime, I just, uh, you know, I got, I get back to my house and I was just like, Kansas City's got it. Like, you know, they're gonna walk down the field and they're gonna win this game. Because um, you just have that confidence, and 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 I, I think my big takeaway about this game more than anything else is that Patrick Mahomes is the greatest football player who ever lived. Um, we can go ahead and say it. I mean, I know Brady still got more rings, um, but I mean, you know, Mahomes isn't even thirty yet, not even close. He's already won three Super Bowls. I've been to some more. Um, he's just smashing records left and right. And look, 
this was a team, this was his worst offensive talent around him this year. Um, and they had a lot of issues and a lot of problems throughout the year. But it was like, you know, I, I like it because we, we'd kind of gotten to the, the period in the NFL right now where, like, the meta was have a cheap quarterback, build an awesome team around him, and win that way. And that's what San Francisco has been kind of doing. Um, and other teams tried to replicate in the past. Mahomes is now getting paid more money than God. And, like, they're still winning, and it's amazing that they're still winning, you know, because I think they can easily get a lot better here moving forward with the way they've had their roster. So um, I like it from a, from an aspect of, like, team building can look a different way, you know. If you have one of the – if you have an elite quarterback and, and pair it with a really good defense, you're going to have a shot. Um, I, it was just incredible, and I just think that's the thing with Mahomes is, like, you know, you look at a team that – I think the stat that got me more than anything – Sunday night was the fact that they traded Tyreek Kill and then won back-to-back Super Bowls off of that. That's insane. That is absolutely insane. And I think it just goes to 15 is the best to ever do it. And uh, we also just enjoy watching, you know, literally I think the best the best quarterback who ever lived. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call Ferg. As always, we appreciate the time. What can our listeners uh, see on the Auburn Observer this week? Yeah, you can check out the Observer today. Um, you know, we uh, did a breakdown of Auburn's bracket um, you know, projections where they sit right now in the metrics and, and kind of what their path is for the SEC title and for, you know, potentially getting a really, really good seed in the NCAA tournament. You can check that out if you want to dig into the, all the numbers and the, and that. like tomorrow, I'll kind of preview the, the South Carolina game, um, get you set up for a huge one here tomorrow night. Uh, and then, uh, yeah, we've got, got more stuff coming, uh, throughout the week, you know, mailbag in the weekend, you know, podcasts, all that good stuff. We've got a ton of basketball coverage right now. And also, we're getting closer and closer to start spring practice in football, and we'll have all that covered as well. AuburnObserver.com, sign up. He's Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us today on Sports Call. Justin, again, as always, we appreciate the time, and we look forward to your coverage of Auburn athletics throughout this week. We'll see you again next week. Yes, sir. Thank you. That is Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer joining us on Sports Call. We're going to head to our final timeout of hour number one. Back to wrap up this first hour right after this. Looking for another way to listen to our show? Be sure to download the Tiger Communications app and listen to Sports Call wherever you go. Want more Sports Call? Check us out online at sportscallauburn.com. Welcome back to Sports Call. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brant Daughtry with you here on this Tuesday edition of the program. Appreciate Justin Ferguson for joining us of the Auburn Observer. If you missed that, you can go back and check it out on the Sports Call podcast presented by Coca-Cola, available wherever you may get your podcasts. Uh, Ferg there at the end directly <laughs> contradicting what we had talked about 
in the first uh, segment of the show about Mahomes and Brady. Uh, he is of the camp that uh, Mahomes has already passed there. Maybe we'll get to debate that at some point in the summer when we can usually get Justin in here a time or two. Maybe we'll have a debate over that. Uh, but uh, certainly Mahomes already rocketing up the, uh, the all-time leaderboard. It's got a couple minutes left in the hour. Uh, Tom? Yeah. I will say this, if I could find the stats right yeah. in front of me, but uh, Joe Montana actually, through his first three Super Bowls, Joe Montana actually has better stats right. than Mahomes, at yeah. least through the first three. Right, and uh, Mahomes was better than Brady, and then you. So sometimes numbers do matter, though, on the, the prolific nature of it, and right. that's the only thing I would argue is this: like, if you imagine a world Mahomes plays ten or twelve more years, and they don't win another Super Bowl, even if they get to a few but lose, would you consider him greater? Not may not better because again, these are different words, but greater right. than Brady. That would be my simple rebuttal to this and if you still feel that way i would disagree but fine you can defend your reasoning but um my thought is he is very much on trajectory to do that but don't be premature about it in the greatness because a part of right. greatness is over a period of time not just a couple right. of, of 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 incredible achievements as incredible as they are so yeah, you my my yeah. my grew my growing up in football my my base that I go off of is Joe Montana that that is that is my peak level quarterback. Um, now I I would have to look and see I don't know what Tom Brady's stats and his stats look like and their accomplishments compared to each other. But see Joe Montana has always been kind of my gauge, I guess. Um, that being said, I mean, the one thing that intrigues me about Mahomes, and I said if you look at their first three Super Bowls, both have three Super Bowl MVPs right now uh, through their first three. Um, but Joe Montana's stats are better through those Super Bowls. Mm -hmm. Okay, whatever. Um, the one thing that intrigues me, though, more about Mahomes is just his style of play because it is vastly different, vastly, vastly different mm -hmm. than Joe Montana, vastly different than Tom Brady, vastly different than pretty much any quarterback that you can think of that has had a run in the Super Bowl. Uh, just his his ability to do things with his feet, his ability obviously to do things with his arm, his ability to take the worst possible situation and make something out of it. Um, he's, he's just he's, – he's got all those tools – uh, and he has tools in his in his belt that that Tom Brady and Joe Montana did not have. So for that aspect, you have to think that he's better in that sense that he just he's able to do a lot more. Yeah, uh, and and look too also because I, I know some might still believe it is Montana, not Brady. I think Brady is the majority opinion, uh, but not the only one by far. Um, the I, other part of it is the era in which Montana played, right? Which is a way different era than what Brady played in, and even like I mentioned in the first part of the show, even part of Brady's era is a little, at least a little different than what we are in now. Because the early two thousands, you're still running with big bruising running backs, and mm -hmm. you know the Jerome Bettises of the world, Jamal Lewis's of the world, these big boys that are getting the ball 30, 35 times a game. That's still kind of happening the first few years, Brady is playing and then Brady and Manning kind of usher in in the mid to late 2000s and a turn right. in the thinking. So even those eras are a, a smidge different, but obviously Montana played at a way different era where you look at numbers there and the numbers are not going to be favor heck, Montana's numbers probably not even look favorable on someone like Drew Brees even, you know. Right. And it's like we all know Montana would still be above Drew Brees, but 
Uh, it's you were in the ball a lot right, more back then, right? A so whole lot more. and concepts were different, and we realized that the spreading people out would help you out, and and all that sort of thing. So uh, there's a lot of different ways that conversation go. And I, uh, hey Tom, I promise you, when when we're in the dog days of summer, we'll probably deep dive on. Yeah. Uh, so we will probably have that. I could see that being kind of that basketball comparison on, on between like Jordan and and LeBron uh-huh. and some of those. It's like, well, you know, in my day, yeah, right, that could happen. <laughs> in we, my day, it was Joe Montana, and in my day, it was Michael Jordan. That uh, that certainly certainly could be that way too. Uh, we are out of time for the first hour of the show. Coming up in hour number two, more of your phone calls on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. Tom's got uh, a stat about the uh, Waste Management Phoenix Open. That's all we want him to read. Uh, also, coming up a little bit later, uh, we will put a bow on the coaching carous- uh, carousel season in college football. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. One hour of our show is in the books. We've got more to come. Stay tuned for another hour of Sports Call right after the break. Since 1995, Alabama's sports talk leader, Tiger Communications, proudly presents Sports Call. It's time to join our Sports Call crew as they discuss the latest headlines and happenings around Auburn and the entire sports world. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. We're taking phone calls all show long and want to talk about whatever you've got on your mind. And now, coming to you live from the loveliest village on the plains, Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show, Sports Call. Second hour of Sports Call, starting right now. Tiger 95.9, Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brent Dontry with you here on this Tuesday. About to go back to the orthopedic clinic phone line in just a moment. Uh, reminder, we still got to get to birthdays and sports in a little bit. And I want to definitely talk about the coaching carousel as, again, it should be about over with. Some maybe top assistants still got to turn around. But, uh, again, some of these spring practices, I'll tell you about Auburn's a little bit later too, uh, at least later in the week. Uh, some spring practices start the end of February. So uh, we're, we're getting pretty close to uh, some of that for some of these teams. So, uh, they do need to, to figure it out if they have not already. 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free 1-888-9-TIGER-9 to join us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line today. First up in hour number two. Ward Damn Steve. Retire Ward Damn Steve is with us. Steve, how are you this afternoon? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Thanks for always seeing my phone call. Happy Fat Tuesday to you guys. Absolutely. Happy Fat Tuesday. Happy Fat Tuesday. And... Uh, I want to acknowledge and commend you, uh, especially from hearing your comments, Ryan, earlier about eating a rather large uh, sub sandwich. I think. Uh, not even not the sandwich, uh, the foot long oh. cookie, uh, and then there's a pretzel, and uh, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot. Uh, I did not eat the whole foot long again. That was split in the office, but. Okay, well, you're to be committed for honoring Fat Tuesday then. There you go. Yep, certainly felt that way. All right, I uh, joined to listen to uh, Justin Ferguson's comments just a minute ago. Um, what do you want to go with, guys? Uh, NFL or college basketball? I mean, yeah, NFL or college basketball? Which ones? Oh, uh, I guess college basketball first. Okay. 
then why don't we go with the category of holy crap? Kansas last night? Yes, 79 to 50, and whoa. Uh, you know, I said, well, maybe uh, our team isn't that bad after all. Uh, when I read this from ESPN, apparently this was the, the tied the largest um, uh, game, uh, you know, uh, uh, loss since 1950, and that game was against Kentucky. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was it was unbelievable to watch. I know Bill Self got thrown out of that one. Yeah, uh, with five minutes left in the game, I think. He said he – I love this. Excuse me interrupting, but when I read this, I said, oh, wait, what did he say? Because he says here, I didn't curse him, talking about the officials. I didn't yell. But I did say a magic word, I guess, multiple times that, get, that got me a couple of technicals. I really wasn't trying to get thrown out. But, you know – the way things were with the game, I honestly feel the game's not being called the way it needs to be called. All right, guys, clue me in, educate me, because I'm really naive here. What was the magic word? Uh, I mean, I, if he said he didn't, I would have thought it had been something cuss word related. I mean, I don't. I thought it was FU or something, but he says I didn't curse him, I didn't yell. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know what it would have been then. I, I really don't. But um, yeah, the game itself, I mean, uh, just. Texas Tech had been ranked until last week. They had just fallen out of the poll, and I, I didn't necessarily see why that Big 12 is loaded. Um, and so they had a kid go 12 for 12. They were hitting threes. Kansas couldn't make a thing. It was uh, it was unbelievable. Well, now, I did see where they were playing without their big uh, biggest uh, scorer, Kevin McCullough Jr., is that right? Uh, yes, Kansas did not have him, uh, so that matters. But I don't know if it matters to the tune of 29 points. And this was the first time he's ever been uh, apparently uh, ejected in the Kansas uh, uh, game at home. In fact, you know, all time he had never been ejected from a game since 1999. Didn't know that. Yeah. So he's pretty self-disciplined. He's not a Bobby Knight. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So this must have been guys. Did you, you guys watch what he was so upset about? I again, I, I didn't. I only looked up and saw him walking off the court. No idea what he said. Uh, I I saw a good bit of the game, but I was not watching that moment. Okay, uh, I have not seen anywhere any lines yet, and I went on ESPN. But guys, uh, have you seen any lines for tomorrow night's game yet? Uh, I have not. Uh, if you want to me to try to give you my best guess, I can. Well, you're pretty good at just doing this, uh, Brian. So let's get <laughs> let's give it a shot. What would you go with? Uh, I'm saying four to six. Uh, so yeah, I, I think somewhere in that range. Uh, I, I know I went with about five for the Alabama game, and I probably see that about the same. I again, the only thing that, that trips me up is South Carolina is so hot, and Auburn. I wonder how it's perceived of the last Florida game with with the the betting market there. But I would have to go in that same range. I would say about five to six points. Uh, Auburn would be favored. It, just the home court means so much i think on a neutral floor right now it would be a pick em, honestly uh but i just think neville arena is worth a, a couple of, of of possessions there now i talked to my son he's i've mentioned him many times he he really knows basketball he knows teams i never you know you pay attention to and he says that uh their record is thieving i'm talking about south carolina because he said they haven't played a little bit of competition that auburn has Guys, uh, your thoughts. Uh, agree with my uh, comments, observations, or not? Uh, give them to me one more time, Steve. I'm sorry. Sure. My son says that uh, South Carolina's record 
that looks so good on the surface is deceptive, that they haven't played the level of competition, he says, that uh, Auburn has had to. Uh, agree disagree with that? Um, some of that I definitely disagree with. They beat Tennessee on yeah, the road. Right. They've already beaten Kentucky. Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I don't really agree with that. I know in the non-conference, South Carolina did not have much. Neither did Auburn. Uh, in reality, I think South Carolina's only non-conference loss was to Clemson. Uh, Clemson is not quite ranked as high as Baylor, but Clemson will likely be an NCAA tournament team. Uh, so again, the rest of the non-conference, yes, they're not big names, but again, what what Auburn ended up doing was playing big names that ended up not having big seasons. So as far as conference play is concerned, uh, look, South Carolina did get squashed by Alabama. I mean, that, that did happen, but they did play them. Uh, and then other than that, yeah, they, they beat Kentucky easily at home. They went to Tennessee and won, which was a huge deal. They beat Ole Miss. So, uh, you know, I, you can pick and choose there, but it's not a vast discrepancy, not at all. Okay. Um, just a uh, curiosity, guys. What had uh, – I guess it was the Riders uh, to pick South Carolina so lowly, and yet this is a shocking, uh, you know, turnaround or whatever, uh, an expectation from South Carolina. Yeah, I, I, look, I, I've not watched as much of them as I, I, I should have uh, because, again, I was not expecting uh, this team to be this way. Uh, you, you heard Justin Ferguson talk a little bit about it. They are a slow-tempo team uh, that, that tries to grind you out and play good defense. That is a better style for a team that does not have a bunch of guys that are just uber-talented or destined for the NBA or anything like that. So uh, they, they try to beat you at their game. And their game is to slow the tempo down, uh, you know, just make you a little bit frustrated with how slow it's going. Try to play good defense, frustrate you offensively, uh, and that sort of thing. And so they'll they'll play a decent amount of players, and and they don't have necessarily one or two just absolute standouts that are are destined for twenty or twenty five point games. And they they just try to be balanced there. But they don't have the depth that Auburn has, correct? Well, I'm not really sure that anyone does, but I mean, they do play, I mean, eight or nine, uh, even ten guys. I, I, I'm looking at it right now, uh, and I know one guy's missed some time for him, but uh, if you look at it, they've got at least seven guys that play 19 minutes a game, and then they got three others that play at least 10. So uh, I'll have to double check, make sure every single one of those guys is healthy, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, they got 10 guys that average 10 minutes a game, so they're going to throw throw a good number of bodies out there. Okay, and sticking real quickly with uh, men's basketball, I just saw the latest uh, Vegas odds uh, for winning the NCAA tournament. Uh, have you seen those odds? I have not. Okay, so the top three are, I guess, your usual suspects. UConn is number one. They have the, uh, the most likely uh, odds to win. Purdue's number two. Houston, number three. Arizona number four, and then we have a tie for fifth place amongst North Carolina, Tennessee, yes, Auburn. Okay. Are you surprised by that or not? Uh, maybe a little surprised that Auburn joined that group. Um, well, it, it's I will be interested, as always, to see how Auburn functions a little bit on a neutral floor. That There's always such a vast difference for them because their home court is so good that it's so much more noticeable on the road when they do struggle. But as we've talked about, uh, everyone struggles. And when Auburn's playing at home, there are not many teams that I would expect to come into Neville Arena and have much success. Not many at all. So uh, that always makes it a little interesting. 
Uh, so yeah, maybe I'm a little surprised to see them in that kind of tier two group uh, for for odds there, but uh, they did flirt with that in the rankings, getting in the top ten for a week. So I think it's probably more residual of that, and probably liking the analytics still. And the real shocker for me was the opening odds uh, before the season began uh, with Las Vegas. We had the probably one of the worst odds uh, to be ranked where we are now. We opened up at plus four thousand. We're now plus 1,400. There you go. Yeah, I mean, clearly Auburn has had a better season than what was anticipated in the preseason. I mean, no doubt about that, having, after not being ranked to start the year. And then I wanted to see, okay, what does Mr. Joe Lenardi have, right? Well, as of today, he has a seed as number three seed. Yep, and that's been pretty pretty consistent last couple weeks there. Playing with Oklahoma as a number six seed, I guess. Indiana State's 11, Vermont number 14. That's the bracket that he put us in. Okay. All right, guys, about uh, Vegas and the NFL. Now, the odds already come out. You kind of briefly talked about it. I said to myself, well, you know, Vegas is not dumb. They're in it to make money. And, yeah, I keep wondering, how come they continue to, I guess, dismiss or not elevate uh, Kansas City? The, the team that's projected that has the odds to win it are who? The 49ers. And then Kansas City second, then correct? Kansas City yep. second, yeah. And I've always, you know, read in numerous uh, writers and everything, even from some odds makers, who said, never bet against Mahomes. And Mahomes says, in fact, after the game, I've got, I don't know if you heard his comments, he says, yeah, we've been an underdog every time. He says, they haven't learned yet. Don't bet against us. Yeah. Now, why would they have the 49ers, guys? Over Kansas City again to get some action on it. You're if if they're the if they're the best odds, uh, they're less likely to get some action on them given how they've continued to win. You don't feel like you're getting much value to bet on them. And uh, I think the other reason would be as great as they are, how likely is it? How hard is it to actually win three in a row, even if you are the best team? Uh, because you want to know the answer to that? Yeah, it's never. It's uh, no, right. It's happened right, once. it's never happened. So it's happened once. It's only one team that's ever lost the Super Bowl the previous year and gone on to win the next one. Who is it? Oh, I was talking about the three peat part of it. Oh, uh, three peat part. Okay. Right. I was talking about since 49ers lost this year, no other team has returned to the Super Bowl and won it. That lost it the previous year. There's only one team that's done that. Uh, it's not coming to me right now. If I thought long and hard, maybe, but sure guy, Tom Brady. Okay, not not too surprising. The Patriots, the Patriots they're the only team's ever done it. They they they're well, that, oh that was the, that was recently they lost the Eagles and beat the Rams, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay, so so that was that. All right, and then I did not uh, know that it had been mic'd up. Did you know that he was mic'd up for the final play in overtime? I'm talking about uh, Mahomes. I did not. Yeah. So I was, I was watching it, and he's yelling out, uh, Tom and Jerry, right yellow, orange, 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 let's go. Yeah, and I heard, uh, I did hear a clip of Andy Reid uh, describing what the play call was afterwards. I did see that. Corn dog. Yeah, <laughs> something about corn dog and motion, and yeah. No, he never said corn dog. I'm listening, I'm, I'm watching, I have a. Yeah, no, no, Andy, no, in the video, Andy Reid, after, after he says the whole play, he says corn dog. Does he? Yep. Okay. Yep. Corn dog with yep. a little ketchup and mustard on it. Yep. Okay. All right. Uh, and with that said, guys, 
uh, if that gone, if if in fact it, it had been different, if in fact the uh, 49ers had scored a touchdown after the uh, the game, they asked uh, Mahomes, I guess you know what he said, right? What would they have done? Gone for two. It, it been, he said, yeah. He said, said we were going for two. He said, I don't know. He said, if Coach Henry wants me to be telling everybody, but we would have went for two for sure. Yeah, so that, that would have been fascinating. They were going to second overtime then. Yep, that, that would have been it right there. That would have been it. All right, um, with that said, guys, um, I know the game is still two days away. No, well, three days away. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about I'm, I'm thinking about Kentucky. Uh, about tomorrow night's game, I'm sure it will be uh, packed solid. Yes. Uh, you said earlier they'd like to play it slow, which is what Florida did. Uh, Saturday does, didn't they? No. Ford is a fast team. Ford is, That's right. They were fast, yeah. Yeah, Ford but was... they were very physical, very physical. So the physicality part, uh, I didn't catch a... Did Justin uh, uh, Ferguson uh, address how physical they are compared to Florida? He, he just said that they are very physical. And, uh, you know, Auburn tries to play physical, but, uh, like, the game that they lost against Alabama, Alabama out-physicaled Auburn in that one. Uh, Florida did a good job of, of being very physical against them, so... It's something Auburn's going to have to be cautious of. Um, they're going to they're they're going to have to not allow themselves to get pushed around. So, do you see this as being another nail biter coming to maybe the team's last possession? I I think it could be. I think this could be a very close game. Again, it, well, if if Auburn were to win it, uh, it obviously they've not won a game like that this year. So uh, that would be a first for them. And even it could even be a close game, but there's just Auburn pull away in the last minute or two with some free throws or something like that. So I do expect it to be close on some level. Will it come down to the absolute last presented uh, possession? Excuse me, those are still rare, and uh, they're they're. I would still be a little surprised if it did that. And the only thing I'm thinking. Uh, I know you I always think about you, Tom, uh, but that was so uncharacteristic for both of our lead scores to go uh, on well and overall to shoot. I think it was a little bit over 50%, if not quite 50% at the free throw line. Surely that won't happen again. Uh, it probably will at some point this year. Probably not in the next game, but I, <laughs> uh, it is uncharacteristic, so it won't happen often. It's not the norm, but they still got a lot of basketball to play, so hopefully it doesn't. But they'll probably have as a team at least one more rough night in that, in that department. Jalen Williams can't go as abysmal as he did against the Florida game, right? Hopefully not. He was three of ten in that one, so hopefully not. All right, that's it, guys. Hey, thank you for your time. Enjoy the rest of Fat Tuesday. Have a safe afternoon and evening, and uh, we'll do this again tomorrow. Warrior guys. Warrior C, appreciate that phone call. That is retired Ward AM Steve joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. We are going to head to our next timeout. We come back, get the birthdays and sports, a few other things. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. easy it is to listen to our show all you have to do with your amazon smart device is say alexa play sports call auburn i'm Britt bowen voice of auburn women's basketball and auburn softball you're listening to sports call on tiger 95.9 
to Sports Call, Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan Lavoy, Brant Dontry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this beautiful Tuesday afternoon. Again, a little bit later, going to go through the uh, remaining decisions there in the coaching carousel in college football after UCLA made a hire uh, yesterday. And we'll kind of put a bow on the coaching carousel, hires we liked or didn't like, that sort of thing. However, as we do each and every day, it's time for today's birthdays and sports. It's time for today's birthdays and sports. Today's birthdays starts with Reuben Brown, who turns 52, former NFL guard. Brown played college football at Pitt, where, he was, Panthers. A, where he was a three-time All-Big East selection before being selected 14th overall in the 1995 NFL Draft by the Buffalo Bills. Brown would go on to have a great career, being a four-time second-team All-Pro and nine-time Pro Bowler. Brown was a member of the Bills' 50th anniversary team and in 2015 was inducted into the College Football Hall of Fame. Uh, went to, uh, he's from Lynchburg, Virginia. Went to Glass High School. Glass isn't what you drink out of. Go Hilltoppers. Glass Hilltoppers. Okay. That's, Hilltoppers is, is a fun one, but it's kind of, it's not common, but it's, yeah, Lynch, you hear it. Lynch you hear it enough. Yeah, yeah. Lynchburg, Virginia, too. It's yeah, mountainous. Fair. Probably even more common up that way. Yeah. Randy Moss turns 47, former NFL wide receiver. Moss considered to be one of the best wide receivers of all time. Moss played at Marshall. Go Herd. Where he was referred to as a man amongst boys for being selected 21st overall by the Minnesota Vikings. Moss would go on to have one of the best careers ever for a wide receiver. Four-time first-team All-Pro, six-time Pro Bowler. Led the NFL in touchdowns five times, including NFL record for most receiving touchdowns in a season, most receiving touchdowns as a rookie. Finished his career with over 15,000 yards and 156 receiving touchdowns. In 2018, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Yeah, so uh, from uh, DuPont City, West Virginia, DuPont High School, go Panthers. But he finished his high school at uh, the Cabell Alternative School because he got in a fight in high school. They got him arrested. He had to finish an alternative school. Oh, I forgot about that. He went That's to Not- like a big part of his story. Right. He, he, he originally signed with Notre Dame, but because he was on probation and still in trouble from the fight at the high school, he couldn't go to Notre Dame, so he went to FSU. Then he popped a bad drug test and got kicked out of FSU, and then he went to Marshall. So, and then he was a man amongst boys. And then, and then he, and then he finally grew and up and one of the greatest wide receivers of all time. Yeah, yep. And his, and his accent always gets me too. I mean, he's he's, he's still he's got it in him. So country, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious. He's from West Virginia, <laughs> Dupont City, West uh-huh. Virginia. Go Panthers! But one of the all-time greats, Randy Moss, forty-seven today, and Michael Turner is forty-two for NFL running back for the Atlanta Falcons. Turner played college football at Northern Illinois, Go Huskies, where he was second-team All-American. Was selected in the fifth-round NFL draft by the San Diego Chargers. But his most successful stint was in Atlanta with the Falcons, where he was a first-team All-Pro, second-team All-Pro, and a two-time Pro Bowler. He finished with over 7,300 rushing yards and 66 rushing touchdowns. Yeah. Running back of the Falcons, when I really started watching the NFL, he was my really my really kind of my first favorite player uh, for the Atlanta Falcons. Was he was Michael a load. Yeah. Well, he went to North Chicago High School in North Chicago, Illinois. Go Warhawks. Okay. And those are the birthdays in sports there. Michael Turner, 42. Randy Moss, 47, and Reuben Brown, 52. A trio of NFL greats right there. All right, Tom, I know you had, while we uh, have right. a moment here, you had a uh, 
a stat force about golf, which is usually not something we talk much about on the show, but it was Brooks's worst of the weekend. It yesterday. was. Yeah, we discussed and this. And this is basically the reason why. Yeah. So uh, the Waste Management Open uh, out there in Scottsdale has become I, – I would say outside of the majors is like the most popular tournament throughout the PGA year just because it is uh, – the 16th hole has the full stadium around it. It is full-on drunken debauchery, um, screaming, yelling, <laughs> booing. You know, it is, it's crazy. Um, but they may have gone a little overboard in 2024, according to the numbers. Uh, so in 2023, this is the Scottsdale Police Department. In 2023, last year, calls for service were 558. This year, 653 uh, arrests made. In 2022, zero. Last year, it bumped up to 18. This year, 54. <laughs> Good grief. We went from 18 arrests Triple. to 54. Ejections from the golf course uh, in 2022, 90. Uh, and then a little bit of a bump at last year to 102. This year, 211. Double. <laughs> <laughs> It's not going to. We can multiply these things. Yeah, my kind of golf tournament. And then uh, trespass, which I'm assuming is people that jump out onto the course and go yeah. and do uh, like the guy that did the snow guy angels. that do snow angels, angels in yeah. the sand, in the sand trap. Uh, in 2022, there were 14. Uh, a big jump in 2023 to 41, and then this year, 73 trespasses, almost double. And what, how many are we doing this over the four days? Did you say? Yeah, yeah. This, this is the so that just means on average, roughly what. 20 almost 20 people a day yeah. are just like wandering onto the golf course when they shouldn't that's yeah. nice almost one for every hole basically pretty much I, I mean if you watch it on tv it's crazy I, I i i compared it to like the auburn rodeo and except if you didn't do a rodeo you did a golf tournament uh-huh. it's just like a full day of get as drunk as you can possibly do and act as much of a fool as you can possibly act that's pretty much what the Waste Management Open has turned into. It, it feels like the blue-collar golf tournament. It is. Honestly. And I, I think that it's interesting because I feel like that was by design. Like, the PGA wanted yeah. it to be that. Yeah. But at this point, like, they said, we want, like, the college football atmosphere. And now they're getting the college football atmosphere. And it's very Time. not good. <laughs> wow, they're getting the they're getting that. They're getting the college football tailgate atmosphere yeah. inside of a sporting event yeah. is kind of what that is. I, I will say, like, it's it's a joke on this show how much I hate golf. The 16th hole at this course is really yes. cool. Yeah. The full hole, stadium, yeah. it's a par three. It's really, really cool. But yeah. the one thing, one thing that I mentioned, um, so last year uh, it, it became – it was all over ESPN. It was all over everywhere where a guy hit a hole in one on the 16th. And they had to to delay everything to clean the course back up because uh, when it went in the hole, everybody was just throwing their drinks up in there. But then they just started throwing all of their trash out onto the golf course from from the stands. And um, I mean, it was it was an insane atmosphere that you just you almost have to see to actually believe what was happening out there with that. And it made me wonder. If now this year from that everybody's seen that last year that it became even more of a thing that people want to go to, and to, and that's why you ended up with these huge jumps and in, in debauchery from from I can guarantee you it's drunkenness. I mean, all, the arrests and the ejections are not because somebody 
said something bad or did something it's there i can guarantee you probably 98 percent of those are alcohol induced calls and um but now i will be very curious to see what happens next year with these numbers going up uh that's not sustainable for any sporting event and uh it will be interesting to see if the pga has something to say about it uh if the waste management folks that run it uh, ultimately, obviously, the Scottsdale Police Department going to have something to say about it. I mean, they're they're the ones that have to respond out there. Um, I'll be I'll be curious to see if they try to tone things down a little bit. They they literally had to cut off alcohol sales. It yes. got so bad out there that the golf course is like we're not selling any more alcohol to y'all. <laughs> y'all are y'all are so daggum drunk right now that we are not selling y'all a lick more alcohol. Good lord, six hundred fifty three of you. Or, I'm sorry, 211 of you have already been ejected, and we've had to arrest 54 of you. We're not selling any more alcohol to you fools. So, yeah, we'll see what happens next year and see if they try to find some way to at least tone it back a little bit. I, I hope they can successfully just tone it back but maintain the the, the reason why it has been one of the cooler non-major no. tournaments and just one, or just one of the coolest tournaments in golf, period, because – you know, when the live tour, one of the many things that it does is that it allows for a way more festive, right. carefree uh, environment. Now, I'm not suggesting that should be golf in general because I do think that um, I can. I look. Well, constant, the purists, yeah. would disagree with you. Well, the purists want it to be like at the Masters, right? Well, but but I'm saying that it should still be like that for most of the time. Um, I, I'm not saying that Liv is, is getting it right all the time. I'm right. saying that there should be a special occasion or two where you can do it like that. But I, I think that it has angered some, like John Rahm already, who was a little bit more traditional, so was a little bit later in going into the Liv tour, because there was a video of him and his caddy getting very frustrated. And, you know, I like I don't think, like I said, it's the worst thing in the world, but Imagine that being to the most important tournaments and then someone yelling something. Because we already get upset enough at someone yelling in a backswing or something like that or going too early and things like that. It would be uh, very unfortunate for that to start to become common in a lot of these important tournaments. So I, I'm not there for all that Liv does, but what it tries to do and why it's trying to separate itself is it's testing the theory on can we get big crowds? Can we get more involvement if we are more relaxed? And again, I'm not saying I agree with it, but I'm saying that that is what they are striving for. They they don't do the long pants. Uh, again, they they're playing music half the time. They 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 play the 54 holes instead of the 72, but that's not as as atmosphere laden. So they're testing like, what if we have parts of what makes Scottsdale cool into their permanent tour? And again, I don't have a problem with some of it to a scale but yeah when you're trying to do something that is supposed to be taken seriously in any sport i think where our goal for the most part unless it's on esp and eight the ocho i think our goal is to take it seriously and so that's why we stop playing uh you know when we've got uh football we, we stop playing the music when you're ready for for the for the snap, that's why they SEC makes Mississippi State stop at the cowbells for a certain period of time, and then you can restart uh, once the play begins. And you know, in basketball, again, you're not 
all, all, all the hype music's not going on here in the free throws. You as the crowd can make your own noise, but you're, you're not letting exterior stuff go in. And so, again, everyone still has a baseline of of operation. Now, if you agree to something like the Phoenix Open to have a little bit more laxed environment for one time on the schedule and you market it that way, then I think it's great. And I think that what they've done with the 16th hole, it's one of the most unique things in golf. It's very hard to replicate. Uh, a, you can't do that for a 500-yard hole. And then B, uh, if even if you did it for all the par threes in a course, that's a lot of leg. Well, I mean, that's a lot of finance gone in there. So I hope that what I'm saying is I think that they have built a successful brand for this one tournament. Yeah. And so I hope that it gets to stay. But at the same time, you can't have the the sheer amount of numbers that you just said to a point where, as Brooks said yesterday, and as you just said, an event had to stop selling alcohol. Like it, there's been a push all across the country for places that did not sell alcohol, like Auburn, like the SEC, to start selling alcohol. And can you imagine an event saying, and now we don't have to imagine, nope, we're not out, but you guys need to be out. No. We're done with this. This is the other thing, the other calls to service I would be curious to see are the medical calls to service out there because uh, those are just the police calls, and that's one thing. You know, the medical calls to service for alcohol poisoning, alcohol, different things. You know, and I, you look at that, I mean, if it gets that bad, and like I said, all those police things that, that were listed, you can almost bet. If you watched any videos of the people out there on YouTube of the people – stumbling around that i mean there were people that were like drunken zombies just like falling down and slipping in the mud and i mean just craziness um on the medical side of things it becomes very dangerous and at some point somebody's gonna like is it going to take somebody literally dying out here on the golf course of alcohol poisoning before we're like we need to stop something we got to figure out something with this because just get i mean at a point it gets dangerous um I hate to be that old guy of get off my lawn, but that's the reality of it. I mean, when there's people drinking to that, to the excess that you see on the videos where they literally cannot stand up and walk. Yeah, the guy having, was peeing on himself just sitting there. It's just like, sitting like, there peeing on himself. Yeah. Did, did you see that one, I have, I have not seen yeah, that. Guy, that's, guy's just sitting that at, is, at a table. I think it's fair to say yeah. that that's too much. Yeah. Uh, should should not be happening. There's a video of a guy leaving with another guy thrown over his shoulder. I, I did out. see that video. It made me laugh um, very much. There's hard. others where there's like videos of, of people just literally just trying to walk. And they're like two steps forward, three steps back, Got two the blind steps stumbles. forward, and eventually slip and fall in the mud and then get up and stumble around. And, I mean, just pure drunken stupidness. Yeah, you'd be more uh, more efficient if you strapped them to a giant turtle and had Pretty them much. just cart it out there. Too but again, like hard. I said, I hate, I hate to be the Debbie Downer and the get-off-my-lawn type guy, but, I mean, it does get dangerous to a point. So, I mean, they're going to have to figure out a way to – uh, maybe scale that back some, but I, I, you I think don't, there's a way to you like don't want to lose the actual festiveness of what that has become. You, you can put limits on it, surely. It just limit the amount of drinks that every customer can have. Life I feel like, finds a way. Yeah, well, <laughs> yes, I guarantee those people are sneaking but, those binoculars in that right. are not binoculars. Oh, I haven't ever seen those. That's that's uh, a you've cool never idea. seen the binoculars. That's flasks? a cool idea. No, 
Yeah, I like it, it though. They look like a pair <laughs> of binoculars, but the two ends that you would look out at, that you're supposed that it's two flasks, right? And it looks like a binoc- it looks like a set of binoculars. Oh, I, I think if you're at a place that's not a bar or a club or something like that, it probably should limit alcohol sales. Like if you if you've got a bunch of people like at an at, like at a sporting event specifically, I'm thinking. I think that, I mean, three's got to be more than enough like you allow for three just because people will buy three and you need to make the money but like two is a lot if you're just not at a party or something but see golf is unique because okay three at sporting events that we're used to football basketball etc that two three hours like and even if you get there an hour earlier it's four but golf i mean a everyone's round takes at least four but then if you want to be there for the entirety of the event for the day that is usually like a 12 hour proposition yeah well and the the other thing is there's that but especially so the 16th hole that has become so notorious for for what it is you don't leave that you don't leave the 16th hole and so you have to wait for that first group to get all the way to the 16th hole before you even get to see golf and so you were sitting there waiting for that first group for a long time before they finally get there to you. That's a long time of just sitting around doing nothing except drinking. And that's what they're doing because they rush in to get prime seating. Yep. And there's videos of them opening the gate, and it's like a mad dash uh, of to get students to, going to a student section or absolutely something. Yep. just to try to get there to get a prime sitting lo- seating location they're already probably drunk before they ever even get there then they get there and they sit and wait for that long period of time before anybody comes around by the time the golfers get there to the 16th hole they they are good and liquored up on <laughs> on 16th and that's not that doesn't even take into account the ones that are actually just walking around out on the course they're like, eh, I'm not even going to worry about 16. I'm just going to walk around the course and get drunk. Uh, you know, it, it's turned into a it's turned into a party. It, yeah. It's a big old drunk party on a golf course, and yeah, yeah, it, it's yeah, it is it is what it is. The Masters are coming up. That would be soon. That'll be the complete polar opposite. The, the antithesis. The of this, absolute 100 percent right. antithesis to. You that. take one step towards that bunker, and we're, we're going to punch you over in South I mean, Carolina. There, I mean, there's dudes walking around with green jackets on that look like the mafia. And, I mean, if you just, like, I mean, if you sneeze wrong, it's like, oh, crap, they're about to kick me out of here. Let's head to the orthopedic clinic phone line, 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free, 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Next up on the show, Keith from Auburn. Keith is with us. Keith, how are you today? Hey, I am outstanding, guys. How are y'all? Doing very well. Yeah, I I listened to that. Uh, You're talking about the the golf tournament. And, you know, uh, as I uh, hear stuff like that, and even, you know, even with me growing up, you know, I made mistakes in my life. There's no doubt about that. Uh, But, you know, now just to to see people um, cheat their self out of the the enjoyment of, sports are the enjoyment of their self you know uh people drink so much that they you know they just don't know where they're at and um you know it, it it's terrible uh it's horrible to see that happen um uh, you know uh, people need to experience uh life and enjoy uh, things sober and not you don't enjoy you don't enjoy anything drunk i don't 
think. <laughs> or maybe you enjoyed uh, too I much. I know <laughs> I haven't in my past experience. So, uh, but anyway, I'll I'll leave that uh, at that. Um, so, uh, a couple of questions: UCLA, USC. They both play their home games at the same stadium, correct? Uh, no, no. Southern Cal plays okay. in yeah. Southern Cal plays in the Coliseum. UCLA's home is the uh, Rose Bowl. Okay, all right. So UCLA hired who? Deshaun Foster. Okay, is this his first time being head coach? Yeah, he uh, uh, he was running back for the Carolina Panthers um uh in the nfl but he was in the nfl as a running backs coach after that so he was uh the raiders running backs coach okay all right well i i, I didn't know i i wouldn't i thought i had heard the name before but uh you know i, I just thought they might hire someone with a little more namesake I, I guess you could say but you know i'm sure this guy is deserving of the opportunity and uh, do, do, do you guys feel like that? Uh, and I know they made the move to the big whatever the conference is they're in now. Yeah, Big uh, Ten. Yep. That you know, if you look at even if you looked at recruiting, even USC was like fifteenth or sixteenth, weren't they? Wasn't they? They yep. were out of the top ten. I mean, uh, yeah, they USC was. Uh, I think their first year with Lincoln Riley was a little better, uh, but this year, obviously. Uh, a the um, product on the field was not as great, and and B had some issues. And yeah, I've got them on uh, at seventeenth this year is where they landed. Okay, yep. yeah. So you know, what's the deal with him? Reckon guy. I know he's getting paid a lot of money, but uh, I guess he can be happy out there. Uh, but they're not going to compete. Um, as, you know, at the level that. Uh, the SEC schools compete at, uh, for the most part, uh, in, in the, you know, the Michigans and the Ohio States. Um, I don't know. I just think it's a hard, uh, it's a hard uh, situation out there for for USC and UCLA, really. Oh, I I absolutely uh, agree, Keith, because we were talking a little bit about it when Chip Kelly left for Ohio State, and look, no matter uh, no matter what for UCLA's side of things, at least. Not only are they second fiddle to USC, USC is second fiddle to almost every single professional export uh, that, that exists out there. I mean, right. everything from Lakers to Clippers to Rams. I mean, that, that's such a professional-laden area that you have to be really damn good to care about USC even. And so if you're UCLA and you're not even USC – you're buried underneath a pretty large pile of interest, not only in SoCal, but also you go to the Big Ten where more teams care than they did in the Pac-12. That that mountain keeps getting steeper and steeper. Yeah, yeah, a- absolutely. I totally agree with you on that. And then, you know, I, I just touch base on the Super Bowl. Um, you know, I thought it was a, a pretty good game. Um, didn't see the first quarter because of all the rain. My satellite uh, didn't want to cooperate with the weather. Oh yikes! But uh, yikes. yeah, yeah, that was. Uh, I think we we finally got connection with about three minutes ago in the first quarter. But anyway, uh, was able to watch the rest of it and um, uh, didn't really care which team won. Probably was rooting a little more for Forty ers than it was the uh, Chiefs. But uh, and that's just because of Taylor Swift. I don't care nothing about her. So I'll root against her. But uh, what was, guys, did, did y'all talk 
uh, about this, and uh, you probably did. What was uh, Kelsey so upset about? Uh, and then going over there and chest bumping poor old uh, Andy Reid. Yeah. What? Yeah, Andy Reid. I mean, that poor old guy. He needs all the help he can just to get around. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think the uh, it, that came after the fumble, I believe, when uh, Pacheco fumbled down at like the 9 or 10-yard line. Kelsey had, was not in the game on that play, uh, yeah. and I think he was upset. Obviously, he took it to an extreme. He was upset that he was not in the game because he wanted to still be a part of, even if it was run play blocking, just be a part of their yeah. ability to score down there. So, yeah, he was upset about that. Yeah, well. Anyway, I, I I didn't care for that. But sure, you, you shouldn't. I know. I know. Probably the, the moment you know he probably got closer than he wanted to get. Maybe I, I don't know. I mean, he 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 hit him pretty good, I guess. But uh, you know, he uh, uh what's the coach's name again? Uh, yeah, Andy what, uh, Andy Reed. Reed. Yeah. Reed, Reed. He reminds me so much of some of y'all may not remember Craig Stadler. No, I do. Uh, well, no, yeah, yeah, you know he, oh, yeah. they called him the Walrus. Walrus, yeah. yeah so yep. That's who. That's who Andy Reid reminds yes. me of. Yes. is the Walrus. But uh, but anyway, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, maybe you know, you, you give Kansas City credit because they're uh, they've won two in a row now, and yep. they've got an opportunity. Nobody's ever won three, right? Or I don't believe so. Yep, I don't believe so. Yep, yeah, that's what I was thinking. So maybe they won't win three. Um, but eventually somebody will, so it may be the it may be the Chiefs this year. But anyway, guys, I know uh, big ball game uh, tomorrow in uh, in Auburn. Yes, sir. Uh, looking forward to watching that. I think it'll be a, a really good ball game. Um, you know, I'd probably give Auburn the edge at home. Um, but then again, if you can go to Tennessee and, and win, you can go about anywhere and win. Uh, but you, you know, guys. The truth be known, I mean, if you really, really look at, at SEC play, uh, it, it's just so difficult to win on the road. You know, I mean, it, it really is. Uh, especially, you know, your upper echelon teams uh, when, you, when you go in there and play. But, um, you know, if you can if you can steal a win or two here and there on the road, then that, that really helps you out, you know, as far as the uh, you know the overall, I guess number one seed in the SEC tournament. But other than that, guys, I just uh, wanted to touch base. Uh, well, you hadn't hadn't called in in a while. Just been real real busy, and um, you know hadn't forgot about you guys. I still try to listen from time to time, but uh, you know it's uh, you know I, I got to go make the cheese or find <laughs> the cheese or, or whatever you want to call it. You know uh-huh. time's uh, closing in on me. So, uh, you know, I got to get it while I can get, still get it. So, <laughs> anyway, guys, uh, in, enjoy, the, enjoy listening to you guys. Y'all, y'all keep up. I guess, are, are y'all in spring training yet for uh, the Thunder Chicks? Uh, <laughs> we probably should be if we want to have a better year this year, but we, we have not convened yet. Okay. Well, it's just uh, right around the corner. I'll leave you guys with this right here. Uh, I saw a video, a uh, gentleman probably about my age, he said, in the video, it shows him standing. He says, well, I've been doing some financial uh, calculations, and it looks like when I'm 97 years old, I can retire comfortably for 11 minutes. <laughs> so that's about where I'm at right now. 
<laughs> oh man! So at ninety-seven, I can take it easy for eleven minutes. I'll be okay. <laughs> but uh, anyway, guys, y'all uh, y'all keep up the good work. Thank you so much for uh, taking my call, and uh, y'all have a great rest of your afternoon. You too, Keith, and we certainly appreciate you for calling in whenever you're able to. We appreciate it. That is uh, Keith from Auburn joining us on the Orthopedic Clinic phone line. And, uh, yeah, Keith, a good buddy of ours, and always appreciate him for listening when he can and calling in when he can. Good stuff right there for sure. We are out of time for hour number two of the program. Again, coming up in hour number three, we do want to get, uh, as Keith mentioned a little bit there with the Deshaun Foster hiring for UCLA, that should maybe sort of kind of, since he came from the NFL ranks, kind of wrap up the coaching carousel in college football. So we'll kind of give our complete thoughts on on the conclusion of the coaching carousel and just uh, some of the best hires and that sort of thing. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Two hours of Sports Call are finished. Don't touch that radio dial. We've got one more hour to go. Whether you're leaving work, cruising around town, or listening on demand, we've still got some fun left for you. To be part of the show, give us a call at 334-887-3401 locally or toll-free at 1-888-9-TIGER-9. Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show has been on the air since 1995 and is ready for 60 more minutes of fun. Now, let's get this hour of Sports Call started. Third and final hour of Sports Call starting right now. Tiger 95.9, the Tiger.fm, and the Tiger Communications app. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, and Tom Peavy with you here on this Tuesday edition of the show. We have a full week of full shows this week. However, next week will be the start of high school baseball and softball season, so we'll return to having... Uh, one or two shortened shows a week, probably for the next couple of months. So we will always keep you up to date on that. As Borgard High School baseball and softball begins here on Tiger 95.9, and Smith Station baseball and softball begins on FM Talk 93.9. Excuse me. As we start the third and final hour of the show, uh, as promised, we want to get to this coaching carousel. As we believe, again, there will be, still be inevitably something weird. It's college sports. It's never really over and this, that, and the other. But we believe we have finally made it to maybe the end of the major head coaching decisions after UCLA hired Deshaun Foster, who was the Las Vegas Raiders running back coach uh, this past season. Obviously was an NFL running back, primarily with the Carolina Panthers. Uh, He becomes the UCLA head coach as they enter their maiden voyage into the Big Ten. Of course, replacing Chip Kelly, who is also going to be in the Big Ten next year, but as a coordinator for Ohio State. All right, so that got us thinking. All right, with it being kind of the end of the carousel, 
let's kind of remind everybody of some of the key moves that happened this offseason uh, in the coaching ranks, particularly with head coaches, and give some grades, give some analysis of how we think some of these schools did. Of course, everyone's going to uh, want to kind of PR-wise say, hey, we made our, our great hire. We got our guy, and everything will be great. Well, half these guys will be fired in a couple of years. <laughs> so uh, that, that's, that's, the, that's the reality of it. But uh, we'll try and do our best guess on some of the ones that might work out. So I'll open the floor to you guys first. What were uh, a couple of the really good hires that you thought were made during this cycle? To me, there were two that I found really impressive. One is in the SEC, and that's Mike Elko going back to Texas A&M. He was really good as A&M's defensive coordinator. He went to Duke and made Duke relevant in football, which is no easy task. Um, I think that he's done a really good job. I think he's a really good head coach. And uh, I think that he's been working for this for a long time. I think A&M is a good spot for him. Uh, He will have all the resources he needs to make a competitive football team. I'm excited to see what he does at Duke or does at Texas A&M after his, uh, his time at Duke. The other one that I find really interesting is Willie Fritz going from Tulane to Houston. Uh, I, I think Willie Fritz, at, I mean, again, elevating where you are. I talked about it with Mike Elko. Uh, Willie Fritz just made Tulane a New Year's Six Bowl participant two years in a row. Uh, that is certainly no easy task. Tulane, not exactly a powerhouse program, but Willie Fritz turned them into a really good team, like a top 15 team a couple of years in a row. So I'm excited to see what he does at a bigger job like Houston. But the, those two were the ones that I look at and go, yeah, this is probably an A-plus hire for those schools. All right, Tom, what about you? Any hires on the positive side of things that caught your eye that you really liked? Um, I, You know, honestly, I, I think – and it's not even it's it's a guy leaving the head coaching thing, but I I think Chip Tilly leaving UCLA to go take the Ohio, the uh, Ohio State offensive coordinator job. I I think Ohio State is the huge winner there. Um, you look at you look at the players that they have brought in uh, on the recruiting trail for from this cycle, but also from the transfer portal is incredible, and, and it it really screams of we just watched our arch rival win the national title we are about to open up the checkbook and do everything that we possibly can nil wise to build up the best biggest top roster we can and now oh by the way let's go get ucla's head coach and make him our offensive coordinator one of the one of the top offensive minds in college football now you bring him in there i think that's incredible uh, and, and just for purely the fact of a guy leaving a prominent head coaching job like that and a guy who has been a head coach now for a long time just goes, eh, yeah, I'm going to go be the offensive coordinator at Ohio State and surround myself with probably the most talented roster in the entire country right now from top to bottom. And that's, that's incredible. That, that is a coup. Yeah, that, that is a massive coup d'état by, <laughs> so, by Ohio State to bring Chip Kelly in. So for Ohio State, a you're putting all your chips in this year. Like I Literally, mean, also Chip, you're putting all your Chip Kellys. In. <laughs> I, hey, I did not mean hey. to do that for what's worth. Uh, 
Look, it's Ohio State. You don't have to combine things to just one year of success. You can do it multiple years. But for this year, you'd have to imagine Chip Kelly's not going to be very, there very long. They've got a senior, Will Howard, coming at Kansas State. Quinshaw Judkins is going to be a junior at running back. Juniors right. at running back that are good usually enter the NFL draft. So like this this version of Ohio State is probably not a multi-year version. They're going to sure. turn over just about everything pretty right. quickly. They're all in on this year. And so I, I, loved, I did think that was a huge hire, and I did – just in totality love Ohio State's offseason we'll get to more uh, just team offseasons in a little bit uh, any other hires because I've got a couple um, uh, you know, to, to me that's the one that I mean there's good hires around uh, I mean I think there's been some really good hires that's the one that was just like uh, you know kind of shook the fabric I guess you could say I mean that was one of those that that uh, pushed that needle toward to a crazy level. Um, oh man, um, I yeah, I mean the Elko hire, I I like that Elko hire. Uh, we're still on the positives, yeah, still on the positive side of things. Um, I, man, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of another one that I could just look at as just like that's that's big time. Um, I will say that maybe Bill O'Brien going to Boston College. I don't know yeah. how much. I mean, but that's. I mean, he did a pretty good job at Penn State and a yeah. pretty broken program at that moment. Right. And I mean, and that's a, a Boston College is a program that just does not have a whole lot to work with. Yeah. And right. you're bringing in a guy like that that loves might, the area, has been might, up there a yeah, lot, might yeah. be able to do something with that. I will say I like the job that Tulane did. I talked about Willie Fritz leaving mm-hmm. and how much I like that hire. I like that they hired John Summerall. Yeah. I think John Summerall is a really good replacement hire for Tulane and I think that Summerall's another guy who's going to have a power five job before too long while you certainly understand Fritz going from Tulane to Houston because that is now a power five job or mm-hmm. power four job as we have to start talking in the right. 2024 yeah, climate for sure got to be more disappointing for Troy to lose out on Summerall to another group of five school although Tulane is because of the last couple years recently been a little better it's not like troy this is the first time they've ever had any good teams they've been winning the Sun Belt a lot for 20 years uh and i know that the american is a little bit better better conference than the Sun Belt, but uh that is not as big of a step up as fritz going from tulane to houston is so that's got to be disappointing if you're troy and, and let me go ahead and say that oh uh, another Manny Diaz uh, Duke, taking over yeah. the Duke job. I mean, that was good. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but I mean, really, kind of on the surface, DeBoer to Alabama, that's a pretty good hire. I mean, we obviously you don't know how it's going to work out for him. I mean, the guy's never coached in the southeastern part of the United States, but it's a guy that just took a team to the national title. It's a guy that has won numerous national titles. Granted, it's the NAIA, uh, but the guy has won everywhere he's been. And if you think about everybody that Bama could have potentially tried to go after or who they didn't go after or who they missed on, if you want to call it that or whatever, to get the guy that just played in the national title game with Washington, I mean, that's, that's a guy that anybody else would be like, hell yeah, we got that dude, and Alabama got him. Now, is it going to turn out good? Don't know. I mean, it's it's tough to replace a guy like Nick Saban, but, I mean, when you just look at his track record, that's a pretty darn good hire. If I was them, that was not my first pick. I certainly sure. think you can make an argument why it is a good hire. 
but because it would not have been my first or necessarily my second pick, I would have been Lanning or Sarkeesian first. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to say it's a neutral hire in my opinion, but uh, there's, I just don't think you're getting those two away from where. Well, and at. that and that's yeah. fair, but also like again, if you have to go down your list, and I know they'll claim that that's their guy and blah blah blah, but um, you know, I, I think that. Um, the concern of going to a completely different part of the college football world is is at least additive to the the deal that anyone would have had to face there by following Saban. Uh, and maybe they say because he's not familiar with it that that's going to end up being uh, a, a better thing. Like you know, you you don't have to know exactly as much because. Um, you were still able to be successful. You were just successful in a different place and not being in the league. You didn't have to be victimized by them seven, eight, nine times. It's that sort of thing. But, I, you know, I just, I'm pretty neutral on it. I think that they uh, open themselves up to if he ends up failing, then they can go with huge name, biggest name on the market, pay a king's ransom a- instead of going the A&M Jimbo Fisher route where they, they swung. They thought they connected. They, in theory, did connect. And then they're paying all this money to the biggest name they could get, and it immediately didn't work. They're going with maybe a little bit more humble approach and seeing if that's the right way after an all-time great like Saban. So, again, I understand it. That's why I don't think it's a bad one. I'm not right. you know, completely disagreeing. But I do think there are one or two better options if you're talking about getting it absolutely perfect this time. Uh, so, again, I, I think it's fair hire. The couple I would want to point out that are on a little different scales than that one, obviously. Um, I really liked Michigan State getting Jonathan Smith from Oregon State. Uh, he was a slow climb guy at his alma mater in Oregon State, but he then had uh, two consecutive top 25 teams at Oregon State. And it's going to take that slow kind of grind at Michigan State. Because Michigan State had been pretty successful with Mark Antonio, like they just were objectively a top four Big Ten team just about every year with him. They were they were in the Michigan, they were in the Iowa Wisconsin conversation, usually trailing Ohio State, and then if Penn State was great that year or Michigan, sometimes Penn State, and Michigan were not very good, and the Iowa Wisconsin Michigan State battle was for second in the Big Ten. Uh, so they were very consistent, but the last couple of years, the end of Antonio and then the Mel Tucker drama. Adding new teams that are in much better places like Oregon right now into that league, Michigan State's got a lot of work to do. That's not going to just come in and be ten and two off the bat. So I like that hire that he was able to go to a a Pac-12 school, which was his alma mater, but a Pac-12 school with not necessarily a lot of history that really was in trouble in terms of. Uh, being bottom third of the conference in, in a rough place and just slowly building it. And not all builds can be done overnight. So I like the Jonathan Smith hire for Michigan State because he worked on it over time at Oregon State, and that's what's required at Michigan State. And the other one that I want to bring up uh, for the moment is one that I maybe not – it's not it's that I'm in love with the hire or I think it's just awesome. I'm just intrigued by the hire because this is a place where coaches can go to die. It's a very hard job and like same conference actually. It's Kurt Signetti, Signetti in to Indiana. Yep. Awesome James at James Madison. Yeah. Just absolutely awesome. Obviously was great. 
when they were in the FCS, they were a constant top five program there for three or four years, gets to the FBS, goes eight and three in year one, and then last year was a ranked team that went 11 and one there. So uh, even in the FBS level, they were 19 and four under him. We didn't really have many up and comers this year. Like we've had these group of five guys take these huge jobs and we'll, you know, we'll see how they go. Um, most of them have been kind of bad lately, honestly, it feels like, but um, you've had the, the older heads that have prevailed, but I think that really we had a lack of that this year. We did not have a lot of group of fives. I mean, Fritz going to Houston, that's great, but he was not on a lot of big board radars. Um, and, you know, Elka was already a, a power five guy going to Duke. Manny Diaz was a coordinator that had been a head coach at Miami. And, uh, and so all these guys, for the most part, were already kind of known at the power five level in some form or fashion. But we really don't know what Signetti's going to be able to do. And that is a very, very hard job. That is going to be yeah. even harder than Michigan State's going to be sure. for Jonathan Smith. And, again, I, I use this example for the SEC, for the Arkansas and, the, and all the middling teams, middle half to bottom half of the SEC. The moment Oklahoma and Texas come in this league, which is now, you just fell two more spots. You fell two more spots in prestige and program tradition and expectation and pecking order year to year. You fell two spots. Indiana is one of those schools that just fell like four spots by the likes of Oregon and USC and Washington and even UCLA coming into that league. You are now way more down the totem pole than you were just six months ago. So those two jobs are very tough, Michigan State and in this case, Indiana and Signetti was one of the most relevant group of five hires this cycle, so I'm going to be interested to see if he can succeed in a tough job like that. Yeah, uh, he never coached a, a losing team in 13 years as a head coach, and he's a Saban disciple. Uh, he was Saban's wide receivers coach when Saban first took over at Alabama uh, before moving on and, and getting into the head coaching ranks. But, yeah, never coached a losing team in 13 years. And so, uh, you know, to me, that one – almost would have made more sense to be Alabama's hire than Kalen DeBoer. I still think the DeBoer hire does make sense. Again, it's a guy that just played for the national title. But, you know, when you look at Kurt Signetti, uh, you're talking about a Saban disciple, a former coach there at Alabama. He knows the Southeast. He knows how to coach in the Southeast and things like that. That would have made a little more sense. Um, but he's at Indiana. and. Uh, well, I'll give you another problem. He's also 62. No, well, true. And I think that want to go they wanted something that's a little more if – it, if it hits, it can be a little more long permanent. Standing. Yeah. Sure, sure. But inter interesting. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break, and then when we come back, we'll go with some that we have more questions about. Maybe not necessarily all negative, but at least more neutral on or more intrigued by. We'll have more discourse coming up in just a moment about this coaching carousel as again it should have about come to a close for this season with the deshaun foster hiring at ucla you're listening to the tuesday edition of sports call on tiger 95.9 On the air, weekdays from 3 until 6 p.m. If you are currently driving in a four-door sedan... 
roll up the windows and turn up the radio. We're Auburn's first and Auburn's favorite sports talk show. Follow Sports Call on Twitter at Sports Call AU. Like us on Facebook at Sports Call AU. Welcome back to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Tom Peavy, and Brent Dontry with you here on this Tuesday. We've been talking a little bit about the coaching carousel in college football as it comes to a close and kind of reviewing uh, some of the decisions that teams made uh, with their head coaching decisions. And, and now that we should be about done, kind of going over and grading some of these. And we just told you about hires that we did like on the other side of that break. Uh, and I guess there's another hire I do like, too, if I can cheat and not go on to the negatives yet. I did like the Jed Fish hiring for Washington, too, by the way. I thought yeah. that was a pretty darn good recovery for them uh, after losing DeBoer, who basically immediately got them in the playoff. Um, and Fish had a pretty quick turnaround at Arizona, even. So... Uh, same conference now, obviously, that will all be in different conferences now. They're off to the Big Ten, but um, I thought that was a pretty solid hire, too. I um, Also, to stick with the positives and in-state, uh, I I think that Troy and South Alabama did a good job with their hires. Yeah. The, they're, you know, obviously, those two teams are not going to compete for national titles. Um, they're not going to be in the title picture, but... It was um, fun to see Major Applewhite's name again. Sure. <laughs> yeah, Major, Major Applewhite is now the head coach at South Alabama. And then uh, who was it that Troy picked up? Uh, Ger- Gerard Parker, I believe. Yes. Was that who Gerard was? Parker, uh, offensive coordinator at Notre Dame last year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so but, I, mean, that, I mean, that's pretty good. That's pretty darn good for Troy. You go to Notre Dame and grab their OC. Yeah. I mean, so – you know, obviously Major Applewhite, a very well-known name in, in the uh, coaching circles and the playing circles from his time at Texas. But uh, So, yeah, within state, pretty good hires there as well. Sure. So any hires, guys, that either you flat out don't like or you found to be at least underwhelming? The, the biggest – well, go ahead, go ahead. Most of the hires that I think are kind of meh, it's less about the coach and their prowess and more about the destination – um, Manny Diaz going to Duke is one of those. I don't think Manny Diaz is a bad coach. I question his ability to succeed at Duke. I have a similar thought about Jeff Lebby going to Mississippi State. He's been he's been a decent coordinator at a lot of spots, but this is his first time being a head coach. And you you were talking about it before the break, Ryan. All the the SEC and the Big Ten welcoming all of these new schools. These they are all of the middling to lower tier schools in those conferences are being bumped down a certain amount of spots and you can count Mississippi State among those and then I don't know I don't I don't know if Boston College could have made a hire that would have made me really happy but Bill O'Brien going to Boston College feels I I know that's where he's worked before he likes that area it's anytime I see Bill O'Brien's name pop up I just kind of giggle because I think his face looks funny and that's that's where my head goes immediately that and the fact that he ran the best wide receiver in the NFL out of the building 
uh, for table scraps. Uh, I'll just I'll never get over those certain mistakes that he made, even though. You know, difference in being a head coach and a GM and, and all of those right. types of things. So the, those were the hires that I looked at as kind of maybe, but I'm not optimistic. Uh, the the main one that I look at, and I also understand there's kind of a difference here because of the time constraints, but, I mean, Deshaun Foster to, to UCLA is kind of odd. Uh, Las Vegas Raiders running backs coach, and now you're putting him in charge of a team that uh, is moving conferences and has not had a whole lot of recruiting success uh, of late. And, I mean, you're kind of throwing that guy into the into a major fire right there. And so uh, – but I also understand that the timing was kind of what it was. Uh, the other one that got me that I, – I was going through and looking at these, and I didn't even realize that uh, Fran Brown to Syracuse, um, Georgia defensive backs coach, granted, very big-time recruiter, knows the Northeast, and so maybe that fits in well, but – uh, I don't know. I just, I, I honestly didn't even realize that Fran Brown had been hired by Syracuse. That one going through the list, I was like, wait, what? When did that happen? Not often that you go straight from position coach to head coach and no, <clears throat> yeah. no coordinating necessary. I mean, obviously, Georgia, any defensive uh, coach that they've had under in the last three or four years has been uh, doing something right. Also, they recruit like crazy, but, um, yeah, I mean, I, look, you can be underwhelmed by it. I mean, I'm not convicted that it's good or bad. I just think that, okay, you – I know Syracuse is towards the bottom of the power conferences. Alas, it is still in the power four. Uh, and so it's like, okay, you you have an expectation to try. Everyone – I'll tell you, everyone out of Vandy, outside of like Vandy, should be – have changed their expectations, in my opinion, with the 12-team playoff. Not that they make the playoff every year or compete, but at least believe in that your ceiling can be 12th or 11th. You don't have to believe your ceiling is win the title. Like, I don't believe Mississippi State's ceiling is that they win the national title. Like, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm going to have to, you know, I'm need, I need to be see it happen out. before yeah, I can yeah. expect it. Yeah. But I can very reasonably think State can strike some lightning and get to fourth in the SEC and 10th or 11th in the country. Because Dan Mullen did that, like I, so it it that has been done. It's not will happen every year, but it can happen. And so even Syracuse, I know it's probably been since like Donovan McNabb since they were any good. Like I don't know, but you can't like you can't just say oh there's no chance we're ever twelfth. It's the ACC. I mean like you a you're getting a bid. B, you've only got like two or three competent programs right now. Beat all the other middling programs to the punchline. Get to third place in the conference and see. Like I don't know, you know, have a have a great year. So, um, you know, that one's fine. My my, oh, go ahead. You got you got another one? Yeah. Well, my yeah, and it's my last one, and uh, it, it's one that it, I mean, it makes perfect sense, but I. You know, you kind of wondered, could you have done more? Could you have reached out more? And, I mean, that's Michigan with uh, Sharon Moore. Um, that was me, one of mine. Was, yeah. I, that, that, to me, feels like if Auburn had hired Caddy to be the coach instead of Hugh Freeze. It's like, you know, he, yeah, he kind of like rallied everybody around and, he and you know, the feel, everybody was feeling so good about things and, but I, you know, was he ready? I mean, it's, yeah, Shrill Moore coached those games when Harbaugh was got out, and yeah, I mean, he was four and zero. He knows the program and all, but I mean, this is a team that just won the national title. This is the Michigan Wolverines. Yeah, they just won the national title. 
you can't find somebody better to replace Harbaugh than the guy that's the offensive coordinator that it, has has the limited experience as just your interim coach. It's like I, I feel like Michigan kind of cheapened themselves out of that. And in the meantime, their arch rival is about to potentially have put something together where they're probably going to – they may be preseason number one because they have just now put a roster together and now a coaching staff together that the rest of the country is looking at going, holy you-know-what. Right. Look, I, I certainly understand the line of thinking. Yeah. Oh, like I do you too. just won the title. He was the OC. Your offense got incrementally sure. better. But I agree with you, and that's why it was on my list. That's like, you're Michigan. You're one of the seven or eight greats in the sport. You at least, like, you know, feel the waters out a little bit, right. test the waters, and, and just see what's out there. It was, for me, it was just how quick that seemed like it was a concede or just like, yeah. for sure, this is the guy. If you if you poke around and no big fish are biting, like fine, like that's very reasonable. That's one case where I'd be fine going down the list a couple rings and then and then getting a guy and, and certainly would understand that. But it was just like okay, you've got a 37, 38 year old offensive coordinator that you know has been with you for a few years. It was there with the, all the Harbaugh years, but had just been the OC the last couple. It's like okay, I mean, like there's he's clearly on a pathway. But Michigan's a huge job, and like you can't just go eight and four, nine and three, and just chill. You know, right. like you have to be what Harbaugh was doing the last few years, and he might very well. So again, that's why I'm like, this is just awful. Again, I see the thought process, but sure. I guess I didn't like the process of this is the absolute guy, and we're not going to poke around and and sniff a Brian Kelly because there was some people at LSU that were very sure. <laughs> If yeah. you read if you read some of their beat writers that were very sure that if Michigan offered Brian Kelly, he would take the Michigan job. Yeah. And so and personally, I would I know Brian Kelly's not going to be here for twenty five years and, and more could end up coaching thirty, but I would have probably rather had Brian Kelly for ten to fifteen years because okay, he has been to a national title game. He has already gotten LSU to a point. They've they've still got more work to do, admittedly, there, but I kind of know who Brian Kelly is, and I know that he's not on flatline Michigan. They're going to be competitive. Whether they get over the mountaintop will be another question. But they'll they'll be climbing the mountain. Uh, so I didn't I didn't love that one. It's, to me, it feels like Michigan is so isolationist. They they are very much like we we are us, and everyone else is everyone else. And they, they very clearly wanted to stay in house. Jim Harbaugh is such a cult of personality kind of guy. It felt to me like they wanted to keep the Colt going. Uh, and look, the Colt just won a national championship, so clearly keeping it going is not a bad thing. Uh, but I, I'm kind of like y'all. I have questions about if that was the best move. But I, I also understand the fact that they wanted to keep things in-house. And Sheryl Moore obviously uh, conducted himself well, uh, went for it. Beat Ohio State, man. It's not easy yeah. to beat Ohio State. Um He's a young guy. If he hits, you have him forever, right? right. Uh, or, or that's the that's the goal. Uh, that that's the dream. He, he could coach for thirty more years. Um, and if all of them are at Michigan State, then you know they enter the golden age of Michigan State football. That's the pipe dream. And if it doesn't work out, it's Michigan. They've got all the money right. in the world, so very very easily could just move on if this doesn't work out. And then and there you go. You could use the same rebuttal I had for. Alabama's line of thinking yeah, with DeBoer is absolutely. you can swing way bigger than DeBoer the next time. Michigan can then swing way better than more. So, again, like, so I, like I said, I don't hate it, what the ultimate decision was. I guess let's just see what's out there first and then come back around uh, to it if you need to. The the one higher I lean towards dislike, and 
You might be like, Ryan, it's Arizona. Like, come on, man. <laughs> uh, and that's fair. Uh, but also at the same time, it just sucks for Arizona because Fish was finally getting them relevant. They're going to the Big 12 this year. You're going to be able to be very competitive immediately in the Big 12. There's no absolute home run hitters, in my opinion, now that Oklahoma and Texas are out. There's a lot of opportunity in the Big 12. But they hire Brent, uh, Brent Brennan, who had been the San Jose State coach. So, again, everyone's like, who the hell are you talking about? And that's and that's fair. But so the last few years at San Jose State went way better. They were 7-6 last year, 7-5 the year before. 2020, the COVID year, they were awesome. They were 7-1. and one. Thing is, overall still, because he had a 5-7 and seven year in 2021, overall he was still 34-48 and 48 at San Jose State and 25-30 and 30 in the Mountain West. And I get it's San Jose State, like, you know, that's towards the very pitfalls of college football. I get it. But he's 14 games under 500 and what was that, seven years? This feels like kind of Mario Cristobal where I will say this, Cristobal ends up getting Oregon – in a pretty good spot, although I don't know what the heck's going to happen at Miami. It doesn't seem to be going well. But Chris Ball ended with like a 20-under 500 record at FIU, like got straight out fired. What he had to do to rehab his career is being assistant for a little while, and then he came back, and then he was attractive because he understood recruiting, and then Oregon landed him, and now he's in a different space in people's minds. But there's also a cautionary tale in being in a group of five and still being like marketably below 500. And I get, again, if you want to just shut me up by saying it's Arizona, what do you expect? Fair, I can't argue that. Arizona's still uh, probably, you know, out of the power four teams, there's going to be like 60 or so power four teams or probably 50th or 45th. Like, I get it. Uh, But having to go from real hope, like if Fish was there this year, they would have been a playoff threat because they could have won the Big 12 to they hired a guy 14 games below 500 in seven years. With seven and six and seven and five as your last two years, so like not even like clear promised awesome stuff there. Uh, you just I you ha- can't be anything but underwhelmed by it. Yeah, it, it sucks too for Arizona because one Jed Fish kind of left them on on not the best of terms. He kind of walked in, said, "Hey, by the way, I'm heading out," and then went to Washington. <laughs> uh, and it, it the other thing is that it, it happened so late in the cycle. That that's the problem for Arizona is. By the time this happened, this was a direct result of Nick Saban's retirement, uh, and, and they ended up getting the worst of it. And it, you know, it just kind of sucks for them. I agree; they definitely could have found a better G five guy. Because one time they hired Kevin Sumlin, look, it just yeah. it completely was awful. One yeah. time they hired Rich Rodriguez, and that was awful too. So maybe they just want names that are not <laughs> big. Just... But like they got a couple of names at once upon yeah. a time. Yeah, I, it's. I don't know. It, it, late in the cycle, that's the defense, but I agree. It, for, purely from a records perspective, from a numbers perspective, they probably could have done better. Anything else before we go to break? Any other coaches or teams we've not hit on? Uh, head coaching-wise? Yes. No. I mean, did you want to add a coordinator or something? Well, I mean, I I, I, I mean, just love I, the Chip I, Kelly thing? No, well, I mean, but just because I think that was just so groundbreaking and kind of earth-shattering. Um now I mean now the whole coordinator debacle at Alabama is something to keep an eye on. Yeah, that's that is a little bit weird. I'm curious to see who they hire. I will say well, one Nick more. Nick shared it. Nick shared it. They're going to promote Nick. Are Sheridan. they okay? Uh, yeah. Alabama plans to promote tight end coach Nick Sheridan to offensive coordinator. All right. Uh, that was earlier today. <clears throat> so, yeah, you know, talk about underwhelming. You have a 
you bring in your offensive coordinator and grub, and before he ever even does anything, he leaves to go to the NFL, and now you're kind of stuck trying to find somebody. And so, just going to promote your tight ends coach. Uh, I yeah. I will say one, one more head co- one more head coaching thing. Uh, Derek Mason back in the middle coaching Tennessee, ranks, going yeah. to Middle, middle Tennessee. Tennessee yeah. I think that's a really good hire for Middle Tennessee. I think Derek Mason is a good I coach. I don't know how high his ceiling is as a head coach, but I still think I still think he's better than a whole lot of other head coaches. And he could have a lot of success in Middle Tennessee and kind of rehab his career. I think that's a good place for a guy like him. He's such a nice guy. He's such he, a, he really he's is. Such a and very he markets guy. the heck out of a program. And he uh-huh. markets – he does. He markets the heck out of a program. I think he was just in over his head as a head coach. Uh, I think he is. Vandy is inherently – already yeah you're you're yeah, not sure. yeah. the fact the fact that he lasted what six years at vanderbilt yeah. the man the man right. is a survivor and that's about <laughs> all you can be is the head coach at vandy yeah that's fair i'll give you another uh weird one new mexico hired bronco, bronco mendenhall, mendenhall yeah. yeah bronco mendenhall won nearly 100 games at byu like he was the reason that they were staying very relevant before i, I guess it was kalani sataki right after him and then they end up in a power Four pro uh, power four conference power five conference with the big 12 i mean the dude was a uh, 99 43 at byu virginia it wasn't awesome uh it was a little skewed by the very first year where they went two and ten but every other year they did go uh 500 or better so again it was okay but mendenhall for someone like new mexico like i don't know if if new mexico's randomly ranked 25th one year that's why you know <laughs> if they're 11 and one and like oh no are they gonna ma- win the, the top group of five school and be the team that probably loses in the playoffs. Like, that would be why, because Bronco Mendenhall is actually pretty good and he's coached out there before at BYU and he, he understands small conference football there. So that that one would be one where it's just like, okay, if you're going to mention the smaller guys and mention the, the schools that one day might win their conference and be that last automatic qualifier, maybe New Mexico football has, has, a, has a plan or two there. So that one was a little bit interesting. We're going to take our final timeout of the show today. When we come back, we'll start to wrap things up and also get to the nightly TV guide. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Want to call into the show? Send us your thoughts via email. You've got mail. Sports call at the tiger.fm. I'm Trevon Reed, former Auburn Tiger football player, national champion. You're listening to Sports Call on Tiger 95.9. Back to Sports Call Tiger 95.9. Ryan LaVoy, Brant Dontry, Tom Peavy with you here. Final five or six minutes of the show today. Uh, before we get to the nightly TV guy, I do want to tell you about three SEC basketball games tonight. Uh, they're not involving the top uh, three or four teams in the league, but uh, still a couple of important matchups. Uh, for teams that are still trying to make sure their tournament resume is solid and that sort of thing. And a couple teams that, look, if Auburn were to lose 
start nipping on the heels for fourth place. I mean, if, if Auburn loses enough games there. Uh, so you do have Texas A&M going to Vanderbilt. You know, going to Vanderbilt is about the best road game you can have. Uh, but A&M fresh off uh, of uh, a successful run here where they're starting to turn a corner. They're up to 6-4 and four in the league. They smacked Tennessee around over the weekend. Uh, so A&M is coming up the standings. Uh, you've also got uh, Kentucky back in action. Kentucky has, as you guys have talked about, lost three in a row at Rupp. They're back at Rupp. They play Ole Miss. Ole Miss is 18-5, and five, but trying to find a, a real valuable victory. They've still yet to do that, especially away from home. Uh, and then the other one tonight, LSU going to Florida. Uh, Florida favored pretty heavy there. LSU has dropped off. They're not going to end up being a tournament team. They're down to 12-11, and 11, but Florida – Try not to give back what was a good win this weekend against Auburn as uh, they try to strengthen their resume. Uh, but yeah, you got Kentucky struggling around. You got AM starting to rise back up. Florida looking good. Ole Miss still looking for a good win. That's kind of the highlights tonight. Yeah. I- uh, I, I mean, we're, we're, we're at the point where it feels like the top four have kind of separated themselves. We have a good feeling of who the top four seeds in the SEC tournament are going to be, and it's all about those four jostling for position, it feels like. And uh, I'm not going to be on the show tomorrow, so I'll pull up this Bruce Pearl quote about that game. Uh, if Auburn wants to win the SEC regular season, they have to beat South Carolina tomorrow. Um, and I, I, I think they, they definitely – could I think they definitely should I think they're the better of the two teams but South Carolina has been uh overperforming all year long and they're they're obviously at this point it's tough to call it they're uh a team that's fighting and scrapping no they're just a really good basketball team at this point um and I think that Auburn at home is as close to unbeatable as you can get and they're going to need a similar performance uh if they're going to take down South Carolina tomorrow and and apparently Vegas likes Auburn yeah 11 and a half Eleven and a half, and we, we were asked that's a lot of points. We were we were asked about that earlier in the show, and I don't think we could find a line. But yeah, I just saw that eleven and a half. Auburn favored by eleven and a half in that one. Yeah, I, I have a feeling they may drop towards eight. I think people are, I think people are going to start dumping money on that, and that line may come down a little bit. Yeah, we shall so eleven see. and a half sounds that's a lot. That definitely made us all raise the eyebrow uh, just a little bit. So, and, and look, I agree with Bruce Pearl too. We'll get more into it tomorrow, but. Uh, they really got to win both these at home. They they really yeah. can't take with Tennessee being on the road, and then even potentially that Georgia game. Uh, they can't they can't drop a home game if they want to win the SEC. They can still be in a really good seating position for not only the SEC tournament but uh, the NCAA tournament. They drop a home game, but um, if you want to be able to to win the SEC, I don't think you can be worse than fourteen and four. And I still think Auburn's losing at Tennessee. So pretty much you have to be. Oh. Uh, perfect outside of that Tennessee game. And, look, Neville Arena is a great place to, to be perfect at home, but two really good teams coming in here this weekend. Final or this week, the final minute or two of the show, time for a nightly TV guide. Our show is about to end, but we've got you covered on entertainment for the evening. Here's Sports Call's nightly TV guide. Sports Call's nightly TV guide is presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. Tonight, 6 o'clock, college basketball on ESPN. It's number 7, North Carolina. They travel to the Carrier Dome to take on Syracuse. 6 o'clock on ESPN, too. It's number 10, Iowa State. That Big 12 is really loaded. They go to Cincinnati, who is a tournament bubble type of team. 
As mentioned in the SEC, 6 o'clock on ESPN Utes, Texas A&M traveling to Nashville to take on Vanderbilt. 6.30 in the National Basketball Association. It's the Oklahoma City Thundering going to Amway Center in Orlando to take on the Orlando Magic and TNT at 6.30. And one movie pick for you tonight. It is Castaway at 7 o'clock on AMC. Another one of the great uh, Tom Hanks movies. Starring Wilson. Star- or starring Wilson. <laughs> yep. It is, uh, it's always super impressive when an actor can be the only living being on screen for most of a movie, yeah. and it still ended up being really good. Tom Hanks is incredible <clears throat> in that movie. Uh, he is one of a kind, and, and that movie is one of a kind. And that is Sports Call's Nightly TV Guide, presented by White Claw Hard Seltzer. And that will do it for this Tuesday edition of the show. Brant Daughtry, thank you for being here, sir. And I believe... We won't see you again to next week. Uh, you'll have some station commentary and that sort of thing in the meantime, but uh, appreciate yep. you being here today. Thank you for having me. And Tom Peavy, thank you for being here on this Tuesday. We'll see you again tomorrow. I enjoyed it, and I will be back for more tomorrow. Absolutely. Uh, we want to thank Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us on the show today. And as always, we appreciate all those that tuned in and called in. For Brant Dontry and Tom Peavy, my name is Ryan LaVoy. Have a great Tuesday night, and we'll talk to you again tomorrow.